This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons featuring Norman Fell as Zeus. I'm one of your hosts, the Sweat Hog Initiate, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today, as always? Henry Gilbert, and anything this bad has to be educational. And on the line, we have... Hi, uh, I'm Rebecca Sugar, and I've been swimming in the fermentarium. And this week's episode is Selma's Choice. Bart, warm up the car. We're going to Duff Gardens! This episode originally aired on January 21st, 1993, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. (gasps) Oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, it's Bill Clinton's first full day as president, the Canadian reggae musician Snow's album 12 Inches of Snow is released, and one I put in just for myself is that the irresponsible Captain Tyler TV show debuts in Japan. Hmm. Not to be released in America for five years, I'm guessing. Yes, it was. Uh, I got it for my 16th birthday, the uh, the VHS box set of, of the full Irresponsible Captain Tyler series, and we, we stayed up all night watching the first eight episodes uh, hmm. at uh, my slumber party, or if, uh, I guess, no, that's not very male. It's, uh, it was a boy's sleepover, not a slumber party. <laughs> a, 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 a male sleepover. So I can, I can see it now. First day of presidency of Bill Clinton. He's sitting in his big office chair, listening to Informer. A Secret Service agent hands him the tape, and it is the tape of the irresponsible Captain Tyler, fresh from Japan. And he kicks back his feet and he says, it's good to be the king. <laughs> this is all fan all fiction. all the anime immediately <laughs> yeah. when you're the president. <laughs> that's why you should run for president. Well, I guess you don't have to now with Crunchyroll. So that's why yeah. we got some real bad candidates lately. <laughs> Now I loved I loved Irresponsible Captain Tyler. It was a great. It starts out with such a silly concept, and then by the end, it like turns into like a very interesting like sci-fi story of like pacifism and what, and also like a big Star Trek. The last like six episodes are like a Star Trek four or no Star Trek six parody. Uh, Rebecca, you you're a big '90s anime fan. Did you did you check out Irresponsible Captain Tyler? I don't know that one. I'm gonna have to watch it. You're I, selling me on it. I did watch it all, not until the DVD era, and we we are alienating so many people right now by lingering on this topic but it also it also is part of that trend where they would make a great tv show and then they thought hey for these ovas let's make them bad and boring yes what yeah, if we it's did a, it's a- the opposite of what people like? Wouldn't that be fun? And that's what they did with uh, Tyler. I hated those OVAs. The Tyler has a like a perfect last episode, and then the OVA picks up from the end, and they go like, eh, "What if we just undid that just to reset the plot for a worse storyline in the next movies?" Yeah, it was, and it, it all started from a light novel. It was one of those early like, yeah, well, I guess Slayers is a, even before that of a light novel adaptation. But yeah, I think it just got a really well. I don't think I know because I bought. It a, a really good <laughs> Blu-ray might release exist, with a gigantic uh, book. <laughs> I think it might exist in the room you're sitting in, Henry. Uh, Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, actually, it does. Yeah, right over there. <laughs> but 
But yeah, then uh, and yes, the the snow song informer was he was a one hit Canadian wonder. The informer, that song we all know it. And yeah, it was a, it was a short term fad in Canada, a white reggae, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the song informer was apparently about how he actually had gone to jail for not informing on somebody or something. He he like had a he had a a, a criminal record. Snow did. He he was a, as real as it gets for Canadian reggae rappers. Apparently, it is. I mean, it's a silly song. It is very much a Vanilla Ice kind of kitsch. But if someone does it at karaoke, I am impressed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And joining us today on the show, uh, she is back since she last joined us, I believe, in late 2019 for the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show. It's Rebecca Sugar. She is the creator of the animated series Steven Universe, and she just released her debut album, Spiral Bound. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Hi, so glad to be here again. It's awesome, awesome to have you back, Rebecca. Like, I was listening to Spiral Bound over and over and over again over the the holiday break i also went down to the the art exhibition you had at gallery nucleus uh in los angeles which was was really great oh thanks so much yeah it's it's been really wild to share a bunch of personal art from the last 10 years everyone saw all the commercial art television show stuff so opening up years and years and years of sketchbooks and and pulling out all the things that that nobody has seen before was was really surreal yeah you had mentioned that like spiral bound was the first music you've released is is maybe the 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 first music you've released that wasn't first appearing in an animated series of of some kind yes ever (laughs) yeah yes that was that was really really felt like a leap which is odd because i've written like 60 songs for television but there was always a i always had a cartoon character to kind of hide behind with all of those songs <laughs> and so even if they were very personal it's like well there was there was some sort of smoke and, and mirrors and so th- this this was really different I, I it actually took me many years because I, I early on I thought well maybe I'll make a new make a cartoon character and write songs for the cartoon character and find someone to sing the songs and then I was like maybe I could make a cartoon character of myself and I would be the voice and I would sing the songs and then like three years later I'm like maybe there's just no cartoon character and I sing songs but it took it took a long time to get there <laughs> yeah. and I mean was the album a little bit inspired by or you know the 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 lockdown everybody went through was did did some of it come out of that? Yeah, I wrote a lot of the songs in quarantine. And it just also happened to be when I was... Uh, like the, my last day on Steven Universe was the first day of lockdown. Like I had my stuff in a box at the office. Mm. I put it in the car. I drove home and then I didn't leave the house for two years. And I was going to, there were all these things I was going to do. I, we were going to go on our honeymoon. We, we, we had wait, we were waiting to travel until the show was over. So instead I ended up taking years and years of um, a few years of just guitar lessons, two or three times a week. And, and I learned music theory and, and that was great and really exciting. I'd been writing all these songs, but not really understanding how to, I, I didn't know theory and I'd never, I didn't study music the way I studied animation. So it was, it's been cool to return even to the older songs and sort of understand now the sounds I kept gravitating towards uh, now that I have the language for that. Yeah, the creative project Henry and I started during COVID is uh, basically working four months ahead on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was, that, is that good does that feel does that feel good to do my, my anxiety brain loves the sound of that i love oh yeah i mean it felt good because we knew we were working towards when eventually when we are free we can take a month off and it, it did happen at some point but uh yeah just just knowing that the, the road had been paved so far in advance it, it was like the silver lining of the covid cloud i guess for us 
Yeah. That was so crazy uh, at the time, like how I, you know, am watching the, the, the end of Steven Universe future and this, you know, big chapter is uh, for, for all viewers of the show. And then as it ends, it's like, like just life like stops at the same time as that happens. And it was, it made it extra weird. Just as a viewer, it made it extra weird. I can't even imagine as the creator of the show how that felt. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I moved out to California to work in animation and, and all of my friends are, are were at work and everybody I knew. And I, I had this fear as as my last day was approaching, just, you know, how am I going to how will I see anyone? Like, how will I ever will I will I hang out with my friends? Like, like I didn't know how to connect with people over something other than making a cartoon show together. And then as if to fully realize my deepest fear, I then couldn't see anyone for and we were supposed to have a rap party. I mean, there was all this hmm. um, we were going to celebrate that that we had done this thing for eight years. And, and, and we never we never got to so but yeah instead a lot of introspection and a lot of reflection and and then also figuring out i mean i, I was already going to have to figure out how to connect with people in some other way so it, there there was just so many other hurdles to that yeah, i was you know eventually when we could i was seeing people outside and you know we were doing we were watching movie to, movies together on video chat with friends and yeah just figuring out it's 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 hard to remember it's hard to go back to that mindset before we knew what was and wasn't safe you know we and, and before we were all vaccinated and, yeah. and everything was I mean it was so scary yeah I mean I, I feel I feel foolish for having done certain things but then I realized well I didn't know any better like I I had a, a cloth mask on outside uh and there was no one within like mile radius of me but I thought like I, I must keep it on who knows what could happen right. but then I realized I was, I was kind of probably always safe in that situation unless I was directly sneezing into someone's mouth as they were passing me I think <laughs> everything would have been okay but you know we didn't know any better right which we all love to do that was that's a hard thing to give up Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I definitely have a sense memory. <laughs> it was my I had a hobby before mask. the uh, pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I had a cloth mask and I and I had slipped like a coffee filter in for extra an extra barrier and mm. I just have this powerful sense memory of like it, you know inhaling that cardboardy coffee filter scent while while walking <laughs> like you said like oh, yeah. walking around outside you know with with uh, a room's worth of space between me and and whoever else is nervously taking a walk I just remember smelling my own coffee and my own gum for about uh, <laughs> 10 months mm-hmm. constantly <laughs> But then I also like I remember, oh, my gosh, the first time I got after we were all vaccinated and I got to see see friends in person and tell it the first time I got to tell a joke in a room with people physically in there with me. And then they laughed and like the feeling of that energy, like I had forgotten what that felt like. And it was so electric. It was so amazing. It's just like this immediate lagless response and uh, it's not quantifiable you know whatever it is that makes being in a room with people so different than than this also i i really loved getting to record the podcast together in person with you last time this is i've, I've fallen the rhythm of, of video calls so this is also great but um oh yeah well, I mean, that was the last L.A. trip that Henry and I took, I think, because we took them kind of regularly. Our fear was, oh, if we do too many remote podcasts, people will become alienated. No one will listen to the podcast. And then soon everybody was doing everything remotely, even talk shows. So mm-hmm. we all just kind of met at the same level and we've been mostly remote ever since. Now, Henry and I don't live in the same city. So uh, we, did, we had to adapt and I think we adapted very well, as did most yeah. people. Right, right. Yeah, I've been nostalgic too for like for Henry when I used to see you at Comic Con all the time. Yes. 
um for any because it's yeah now no i miss wow for since that yeah no i i i miss i miss comic i was just seeing the comic-con plans again or also like bob went out to um new york recently and it reminded me like oh yeah i miss new york comic-con that was a lot of fun like the one you guys had uh a panel geez i went to that it was like the first time tom sharpling had been on stage with many of the other voice actors in the oh. show because he had always been he had been remote the whole time on, yes. on the series right yeah and, I, yeah, I like New York Comic Con. It has a different a, a different character than San Diego. Mm-hmm. But I always loved it's, just getting to be back in New York because that's where I went to college. And so it was like, I, as soon as I would touch down, I'd be like, have to get a Lox bagel, have to go to all my like favorite spots. I want a hazelnut coffee from Chock Full of Nuts. I know these aren't authentic experiences. I have to go to Ray's. <laughs> it's just like, these are the things I did when I was in school. Um, so just get like as much New York something about stepping foot back in New York was like since that's how I when I entered adulthood that's where I was it feels like stepping back into real life and also just good public transportation well and that's I'm sure you know was a whole different story during the pandemic as well but a a world of difference from Los Angeles I really missed at those cons too that uh, I it was those those were so fun because I'd get to go there for video game stuff but then I you know would be able to tell an editor of something like actually I know more about Steven universe than any other person you could assign to this so can i take the steven <laughs> universe one too and just kind of branch out from from just the video game coverage while i was that's, there too that's which... how you met adam west that is a, yes yeah <laughs> i did want to we should get to the simpsons but i did yes. want to ask rebecca if people are interested in spiral bound where do you prefer that they buy it oh my gosh well um i mean i have it on Bandcamp. that's the most direct you know because I did it independently, but it's also streaming on Spotify or Apple Music or just just everywhere. So really any way, any way to listen to it, I would appreciate so much. There's also my friend uh, Takafumi Hori did a beautiful piece mm. of animation for the song Good Morning Afternoon, which is on YouTube and kind of floating around is on my Instagram. Um, so it would be awesome if everyone could check that out. He is a brilliant animator. He animated the Other Friends sequence and, and the Here Comes a Thought sequence for Steven Universe, and we got to collaborate on just a, a beautiful little piece for one of the new songs um and that was so much fun. i love that video so much like the, especially the uh in the midpoint like he starts like drawing like these deep lunges on your character that are are just so funny like he's i mean he's uh, any collaboration between you two i i always love to see that's uh and my you know uh, i guess it's not a uh surprise for like such a nerdy uh retrospective podcast as this one but i think adams morgan 1991 is is my favorite of of the the songs on there oh like, just all these memories very specific memories you you um, evoke in in the song i really love ah thank you so much yeah that's that one's about i went to preschool in in dc and the, a, a very loose kind of hippie preschool and those were all my my memories from that time <laughs> no it's very it's it's really great i i also you know to, to tie it into the simpsons too i've heard you mention spiral bound it kind of reminds you of your indie comic days uh i mean i we we I, we talked about it a little last time you were on but would you say your most famous indie comic is don't cry for me i'm already dead <laughs> i don't probably that was such a surprise to me i don't even really know how that got around because I, I used to put I wasn't really, I had comics on the internet, but I wasn't really sort of a web comics. Like I wasn't really in that community and I just kind of threw them on a website. Uh, and sometimes people would find them, but usually they wouldn't. And I think that comic circulated on Metafilter because at some point it, it reached Matt Groening, which really shocked me. But yeah, that that comic is really, especially I, I pitched that comic to 
Ian, Ian Jones Cordy on our on our first date, and he thought it was funny, <laughs> which is which is why I made it ultimately. Um, by the time I was drawing it, we were already living together, and I was I was really sort of lost. I was trying to figure out how I wanted to draw at that time. And so I was, I was referencing a lot of, um, I was, I was doing a lot of life drawing and referencing a lot of real people. Ian shows up in the comic. He's kind of makes a cameo as a doctor. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah. Thinking back on that is, and I was learning to ink with a brush. So there's a lot of, of practice there too. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I remember showing that to one of my teachers and he, he was annoyed because one of the quotes I had from the Simpsons was really just a quote from the Twilight Zone. This, uh, just to tee up this episode, because it sounds like, the, and, and that's what's also so great about talking Simpsons is I think there's so many things I think originated in the Simpsons that are just references to things that I was not aware of, which it sounds like this episode is just from what you were chatting about before. It sounds like this episode is also that, and I just didn't know. Because um, this well, is my this is my first exposure to so many of these ideas. We weren't all cool enough to be watching Murphy Brown at age ten, but <laughs> the hosts were. I will say. Right. What year did you say this was? This is nineteen ninety three. So January of ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I was I was six. I don't. I wonder how much I understood about. I didn't know how much I was aware of IFV when I was six, but I may yeah. have been. I know I saw this. I feel like I saw this when I when it was new. So, uh, well, I yeah. mean, at least it was eight, and so she knew about it. So it wouldn't be so crazy to know yeah. about it. Sure. I mean, for me, it, it was uh, the TV shows like this, especially Fox sitcoms. They taught me everything I needed to know about sex, and then the, there were some gaps that uh, health class filled in. But it was mostly TV. <laughs> well, Rebecca, I've, I've also heard you talk really well about growing up and how gendered cartoons were and, and are. And, and, you know, you've been Steven Universe partially was trying to, to deal with that genderedness in, in American cartoons. Growing up as, as a Simpsons viewer, where did where did Simpsons like fit in in that gendered view of, uh, of TV? Um, gosh, I mean, we were mostly playing off of, you know, things that, that were sort of in the six to 11 demographic, you know, the, the toy, the, you know, the toy aisles that are either, you know, the pink aisle versus the boy toy truck, you know, action figure <laughs> aisle, that kind of stuff, which is so targeted. And then the animated sitcom Simpsons or Flintstones, or I mean, I think I, I think I loved the Simpsons because it wasn't one of those toyetic shows that that slotted into either the girl slot or the boy slot, which which was welcoming. I mean, I was a, a member of a, of a family of four. So I really identified with um, I mean, I mostly identified with Lisa, because I was also sort of a poindextery nerd. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, I don't know, sometimes a little bit Bart as well. I mean, I, I was an older sibling, but I was never that much of a, of a troublemaker. But um, I, I think there are definitely things I mean, I was I was thinking about this returning to this particular episode, because there were definitely things about particularly Patty and Selma that stuck in my mind because they were presented as so grotesque of characters uh -huh. you know and and this episode has some of it too where where you know the Simpsons occasionally you know will make jokes about the the mannishness of a character that should be more feminine and those those little moments would always sort of stick out to me in anything that mm -hmm. I saw I, I remember we worked really hard you know th thinking about uh, Patty I Reflecting on Patty and Selma, you know, because I I really loved them as characters, and it's sort of inseparable. It's like it's like the things that make them so repellent. It's like they work at the DMV, and the DMV is bad. Which I guess at, at six, I was like, oh, the DMV is bad. I like that's something I just knew because I watched this. Like, um, I guess it's you know it's depressing to be at the DMV. I always loved. I don't know what episode it's in. I'm sure. I'm of course you do. Um, when one of them sucks a, a yes. sh shellfish out of a, a, a hermit crab out of its shell. You could just suck them out. It was uh, yeah. Chaos of Horror uh, 7, I guess. The um, yeah, Homer, yeah. Homer Cubed. Is that it? 
Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, I love that's the kind of Patty and Selma that I that I really loved, where it's just like, the, you know, the visceral feeling of like, of like, they don't care if they're like chewing sand and has this thing in their mouth. I mean, it's <laughs> like, and then all the smoking, of course, you know, but then I think on the flip side, when they would talk about, oh, they, they don't shave their legs or like, you know, are, are sort of emotionally unavailable or, the, you know, these other things that just kind of get lumped in with sucking a, a crab out of its shell. Um <laughs> You know, when, when we were working on Steve, I remember, I remember we worked really hard on the episode Island Adventures, like Sadie and Lars get are stranded on this island. And one of the things I really wanted to show that I felt like I hadn't seen is just someone who has hair on their legs where it's not there as a punchline or to be grotesque. Because obviously she's like, you know, Sadie can't shave her legs. She's stranded on an island. And that was really difficult to do. It had to be boarded. We had to do multiple designs to have the different stages of, you know, hair growing on her legs and little things like that I, I was excited to try and reframe as not an inherently negative or horrible thing um, and, I, and I do think that that would come up fairly often in, in The Simpsons I think it's interesting too you know that, that Patty and Selma are there to kind of give context to Marge and, and I still even watching this I just I love her relationship with them and how and how next to other members of her family she just seems so delicate and innocent <laughs> and yeah uh, I will say uh, I will retire from this show in shame because that was Trios of 406. But oh. uh, yeah, I, I, I will also say that uh, this is really a case of the author being dead because David M. Stern, the writer of this episode, uh, has some sympathy for Patty and Selma. But in, in concept, they are repellent characters. They're supposed to be dislikable. But when I watch them as adults, I think they rule. I love that they're so comfortable with themselves and have such this tight bond that no one else can understand. But they were born out of Sam Simon hating his sister-in-law. And you really yes. can't escape uh, just this this uh, the concept of these characters being hatred of of a woman um mm -hmm. but then more came of it and i like how they've been developed over time although you get some of those unfortunate jokes about what are perceived as their mannish qualities that have not aged well but i just love now seeing these episodes 20 or 30 years later like oh they're funny they're sarcastic they have this bond and they're just so comfortable and i, and I kind of envy them in that respect i know oh, and and julie kavner's performance as patty and selma is always and i think it's incredible in this episode i mean it's just so you get to see so much range of like this character that you know that would usually just deliver a deadpan joke and there's empathy and there's but yeah i think too you know the fact that they're there so often to make fun of homer and and they're usually right you know that's always really that's always really nice eventually they they make so many jokes to degrade homer over time that you're like i think they're right that he is a bad husband for marge this is the right they they, they have their good points here well i also yeah it's it's interesting on the gender thing too because it was a very i mean it's still it still is a predominantly male writing staff but back then it was an all-male writing staff but the the david stern you know he found his place in writing for the show like he really loved patty and selma as characters and humanized them in a way that rarely but i don't think any other writer really did on the show like his this is pretty much a sequel to principal charming the one where patty ends up with with skinner yeah and david stern was the one to make them distinct characters where they have differences between them and they really come out in his episodes right it's it's also interesting uh rebecca that we we picked this one because you know i uh th this is an episode about the uh ants patty and selma and, and you know so, some could say steven universe is a lot has a lot of ant vibes to it as well <laughs> yeah. i guess yeah yeah they sort of yeah early early on the sort of crystal gems and steven they were supposed to kind of fill an older older sibling role but they definitely since since they're all his mother's friends they definitely they definitely have some aunt related <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> energy as the kids would say 
I was trying to sound youthful with uh, the out vibes thing. Yes, but, yes. And two, it's uh, when I think of the genderedness of The Simpsons too. I do think that like the writers, you know, all dudes, but they usually say most of them would say like uh, I was just reading this in Mike Reese's book. He says like they're a staff of Lisas. Like they all identified with Lisa much more than Bart. Like they had trouble writing for Bart as the you know the mischievous bad boy. They're just like no, they they had much more in common with with Lisa. Right. That makes that makes sense. A lot of I, there's like a lot of Ivy League um, writers. Yeah, so um, that would that would make a lot of sense. Uh, this this episode, though, yeah, a sequel to Principal Charming, though you would know it from the commercials because uh, the, <laughs> the commercials, the I you, listeners will hear it in the break here. The commercial is just I, I found one of the classic commercials. It's just ten seconds of them going like they're going to the craziest theme park ever, and it's just part <laughs> on the roller coaster on the roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Um. Oh the the roller coaster that does that's not finished um i mean that's just it's a that's a really great visual gag i was excited to return to this because i was like oh duff gardens like i didn't realize it until now i'm like oh this is like bush gardens and i grew up in maryland and i was close to bush gardens and and like i went there as a kid and so so coming back to it i was like oh i wonder how in what way it's going to be if itchy and scratchy land is like disneyland then in what ways is this going to be like bush gardens and then i watched it i'm like oh it's just disneyland yeah yes (laughs) I, i think itchy and scratchy land is the better disneyland parody but whatever they don't parody here they will parody a few years later so i think they just cover all the bases with those two episodes but they spend two acts at the theme park in itchy and scratchy land here we just have about most of an act Right. And, uh, you know, one one last preamble thing. I, I found another cool bit of uh, from the, the Twitter account Daily Simpsons, which has tons of great Simpsons history. They shared a video of uh, Nancy Cartwright. Uh, it was like from their, you know, press release documents back in 92. But it's, it's Nancy Cartwright being directed for the voice acting of this. And she was talking about how, like, what, uh, let's just do one more from the voice director really meant eight more takes and that she was going to have to do, like, like well, uh, way more takes. I, I was curious, Rebecca, you know, did, did you do much do, uh, direction of the actors on Steven Universe? And what, what was your philosophy on that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes... I would get I would get in trouble for going over because I'd really want to you know solve solve this or that although although everyone was so especially as the show went on we we were writing the characters to their voice uh, performers as I got to know them better um so so often I mean everyone would just be so on it so usually when we I feel like we would end up going over especially when we had a song because we were never given any extra time to record songs or to write the songs or to do song sequences. Um, so we, we would always be getting ready and try to have all our ducks in a row and we were coming in with a song because that took a whole different amount of setup. And I, I just remember we would, especially early on, sometimes we would have everyone in at the same time, which was amazing. And the most fun would be doing efforts because there were a lot of fights and we'd save them all kind of for the end. So it just in a row, everyone would be making punch sounds and hitting a wall sounds and just one after the other. And everyone else would have to be like covering their mouths to not crack. <laughs> Back up, um, you know, especially as uh, Dee Dee, like Pearl's voice, would just do these gigantic, you know, ridiculous takes for her fights, and um, <laughs> and then Estelle was really funny with all of her like fight actions, and you know, and since since our show would would cast a lot of people who were you know from musical theater or or musicians, that would also be kind of new to be just doing a lot of sort of sound effects together would be really really fun. But yes, um, I I had a I worked with Ken Osborne for many years, who's lead writer on Adventure Time, was also our voice director, and and the two of us would be there at every record and then the movie had so many songs that that, that I voice directed the movie myself oh. um 
and then worked with Christy Reed after that, who was the voice director for OKKO. But yeah, and sit behind the glass. And I, I remember I, I got directed once because I played a brief part for Adventure Time. And I, and I would always be nervous. Well, it's like, I never want to give line reads. And I, you know, I, I don't want to make people do things a thousand times. And then when I was back there, I was like, oh, it's it's so nice. Like, I loved, I, I really enjoyed getting direction. Um <laughs> So that made me feel a little better uh, about giving it every every week, every Wednesday. Yeah, we'd be in the booth recording. That's that's funny with the singing thing too. That like, because me and Bob often say with poor Julie Kavner that she <laughs> she picked a Marge voice, you know, in 1987 and did not plan on having to sing in it or have to do all this acting in Marge's voice, and she's she's kind of been trapped in it for 35 years. And here she's playing five variations on the same voice in this yes. episode. Very impressive. Where where is her Emmy for this episode? Yeah, yeah. She should get a, ha- a handful of them mm-hmm. for every every single one of them. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, her Selma in this episode is just the, oh my gosh, the end mm-hmm. singing Natural Woman. It's really I got really moved. Why like watching yeah. that again? Even though I know it's like again, it's sort of rough. It's like oh you know the, a little version of you is a lizard. It's like okay <laughs> you know, but then but then it's. I don't know. You want to see her happy. And especially after everything she's been through, you see her just so kind of broken in this episode. And, and then she gets to love Jeb Jeb. And I don't know. I, I was I was like tearing up a little bit hearing her sing, sing in that in Selma's voice. You know, when, when do you get to hear that? It's very sweet. It's great, yeah. But the episode itself now uh, begins with their first of many of, of a few references in this one, but it's the, they begin with the Duff Gardens commercial. We, we see the return of Daredevil Lance Murdoch, uh, who was introduced in Bart the Daredevil, uh, and he jumps over 16 flaming school buses. That number is important because mm. back in 1975, Evil Knievel, the guy who they're referencing, the Gen X or Boomer guys writing this show, he jumped 14 buses. Uh-huh. So Lance Murdoch beats by two and they're on fire this is his and last I, appearance for a while because uh he shows up here and then in homer the smithers we find out he has cirrhosis of the liver 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 <laughs> and then in uh viva ned flanders which david m stern writes he makes his grand return to the show but he is such a lesser character that you thought would have a lot more legs based on being in a big important early episode right. i think they they love doing horrible things to him but i guess they got kind of like ah yeah how many times how many times can we d- break his body and every Head. I just love that the commercial is set up with like if maybe I'm overly deconstructing this but that like much like the thing it is referencing they knew that the camera people were going to go up to him at the end of the trick and ask him where are you going to go next and he's supposed to say I'm going to Duff Gardens but because he horribly injured himself he still has to say it <laughs> and so he's like saying it through I'm horrible going, pain yeah. like I'm going to Duff Gardens. And I don't think this is lost to time because they're doing it again, but this is a reference to an ad campaign from uh, that started in 1987 where after the Super Bowl, they would have a spot, the Disney company, where they would go up to a player, like the MVP of the game, and say, you just won the big game. What are you going to do now? And they'd always say, I'm going to Disneyland or I'm going to Disney World. And this fell out of fashion after a while. It came back in the early aughts. And I think I, I was reading in 2023, they did it after that year's Super Bowl with uh, one of the Kansas City Chiefs players. So it stuck around enough in the cultural memory where they can keep uh, referencing it. And then in 1992, they did an ad campaign where there was a song called I'm Going to Disneyland. And it was referencing a previous ad campaign that was popular. Yeah, I've got I got a quick clip here. The the original uh, commercial from the the MVP of the uh, the Super Bowl that year. Bill Sims, you've just won the Super Bowl. What are you doing next? I'm going to go to Disney World. (laughs) 
And because we live in the age of social media and blogs and everything now, uh, maybe there are still blogs. I don't know. But now when someone <laughs> does one of these, there's a, a Disney article about, well, he, he went, we went with him to Disneyland and here's what he did. So I think with that recent guy, they actually followed up on this uh, promise. Wow. So they still do this campaign? Yeah, it comes and it goes, but they did do it in 2023. That's incredible. Oh my God. I I was definitely familiar with this only as jokes. I never saw like the original. I also like didn't watch sports. So (laughs) not a big Super Bowl viewer. No, I I mainly knew it through references, but I I do find it very funny that the commercial is implying going to a Disney theme park is as good as winning the Super Bowl or perhaps better. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, it sold me on on wanting to go to 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 theme parks like yeah i uh rebecca you've been a, like you said you've been a socal resident for for a good while now and if animation pro like do, do you feel different about theme parks especially you know like the big disney and universal ones now that they're practically you know next door to you now as opposed to when when you were growing up yeah i mean well since i was on the east coast i had there's a place called wild world that then became adventure world that i think now is a six flags that was the, sort of the close one um bush gardens was a little further away and i we took a trip once to disney world so i had seen that which just felt giant to me as a as a little kid and, and it is kind of giant and and then when we moved out here and i finally went to disneyland i was i was kind of blown away by how kind of quaint it is like it's a piece of history as having gone to disney world first you go to disneyland and when you see those old rides also having studied animation and illustration they use so many illustration techniques you know, in, in something like Pirates of the Caribbean, um, in order to create create those little dioramas that you're passing through. And when you're walking through, you know, fake New Orleans or whatever, the way that they use illustration ideas to, you know, to make the tops of the buildings feel feel further away than they actually are. I mean, there's there's like mm. an artistry to it that that really struck me. And I love the pieces of it that have been maintained from some of the earliest days, because they have so much of that, like you go through you know, Sleeping Beauty's castle, and you see just those those simple little scenes one at a time with with some some effect under them. It, all, all that stuff, I think, is is really really cool. And I'd never seen. I'm also I love Mary Blair. I studied all of that in college, and to go there and see her influence over so many of those rides was was really exciting. So yeah, I, I definitely love Disneyland in a very different way than I was expecting to. You know, and, and I'm really fascinated by the the history of well the, the history of the parks. I, I find the whole Epcot story just absolutely incredible the idea of you know <laughs> I mean I've, I've been to Epcot and obviously it's not what it was originally mm-hmm. intended to be you know but the uh the parts of Disneyland and Disney World about kind of creating an ideal society where all of the workers are underground and you can't see them etc cetera, etc cetera, where people live in houses <laughs> but they don't have the right to vote or you know make any decisions about where they live all that stuff is like wow that's like you know holy smokes the story is really great and and uh, Disneyland's really interesting too the stories about uh you know how fast they tried to open and the pavement melting under people's feet and I think too as as an adult I can now appreciate you know how much of the how how much the park actually supports the animation and everything else that Disney is able to do at this point I don't know if I'm like there's like a there's like a parks kind of person i don't think i slot into it i don't i don't go like once a month or anything like that uh-huh. um but uh i have a, i have a story related to disneyland I'll, I'll bring it up later when we get to some of the deaf garden stuff I, I was thinking you know why did i like this so much as a kid i think it was the theme park stuff especially the disney parodies because uh disneyland or disney world that was never an offer on the table when i was growing up that was not even a possibility that was talked about so i thought i need to know what's happening at these theme parks and the only way i can know is through parody so i always loved uh <laughs> parodies things like when they go to happy world land 
in the Tiny Toons movie. Uh, This, Itchy and Scratchy Land. Before the internet, I needed to know what was happening at these places. I remember a friend of mine, he went to Disney World uh, because his grandma signed up for some timeshare thing where you go. It was one of those old scams where you go. And as long as you sit through the meetings, you can go to the park. And so she sat through the meetings. He went to the park. He came back with the big map. And I swear to God, an entire week of recesses, I just sat down with him with the map. And I was like, tell me what's here. What's inside of this? What is this like? I just needed to know what was happening at these places. I presumed I would never, ever go. Did you have did you have one near you, though? Like a like a local park? I grew up in Western Ohio, so there were things nearby like the Geauga Lake theme park. Uh, Cedar Point is a very popular theme park if you're a real roller coaster fan. Unfortunately, I am not, and I still kind of am not to this day. So I miss the point of Cedar Point. Uh, that was never a destination for me. And then I think there was like Kenny Kennywood in um, Western Ohio. So there were theme parks. We didn't really go very, that often. And after a certain point, we just didn't go anywhere. But nothing had the same appeal to me as as a Disneyland or a Disney World, just the forbidden fruit that I, I didn't go to Disneyland until I went to visit a friend in California when I was 18, and then not again until I was uh, close to 30. And I've been back since I moved to California, uh, and then you know I'm in Canada now. But when I was there, I, I did go every couple of years because it was the novelty. But uh, it, it still feels like this place that is just so foreign and so unreachable uh, because it had that status in my mind as a kid. Now you know, for me, Bush Gardens was a local. One which uh, if listeners don't know, Bush Gardens. I guess I think they still exist, but they were they were owned by the Anheuser Busch, you know, beer company, which is why it, this is Duff Gardens in there. But but yeah, when I was a kid, I did not like Bush Gardens because it was a zoo plus a bunch of roller coasters. But I wanted to, you know, it, let's say I was at least very properly marketed to by Nickelodeon. But I wanted to ride the movies <laughs> at Universal. I wanted to see all my movie friends, and I I didn't want to just ride a roller coaster that was just named after something that like wasn't on television so why well, that uh, also roller coasters scare me like I'll if my best friends Spider-Man or some other character are on a roller coaster then I'll brave it with them or like the Incredibles are on this roller coaster okay I'll do it but if it's just a roller coaster I am still kind of unable. I I am too scared to do it. Yeah, there's still parks, uh, Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay and Williamsburg. And it feels like a Simpsons joke, but it is real. These are theme parks designed to market their beer to you. Yeah, that was way, that went right over my head when I was a kid at Bush Gardens. I had no idea. I only found out that related to beer like as I was getting ready for this episode. I was like, wait, what? oh, oh, Bush, right. Okay, I, I don't know. I was like, Bush Gardens, that's where you, that's where you go for roller coasters. No, it was only hit me a couple of years later after this episode when i went to bush gardens for a kids field trip i've i've told this story before but it's it's a funny one i like to tell that it's just it was a childhood realization of like homophobia in a bad way but it was that basically we a nice thing about being at a at a school in florida is that you might get to go on a big end of your field trip to Disneyland or Disney World or Universal. And so we had scheduled a thing. The the school for like sixth grade was going to go or fifth grade was going to go to uh, at the early June to Magic Kingdom. And then some busybody homophobic teacher found out that that was the, you know, the unofficial gay days that happened at Disney, which, you, you know, where uh, a bunch of LGBTQ people would show up in red shirts to celebrate the day together and they just have fun. It was not, it was nothing evil, but just the idea that the kids would be taken from school to gay day at, at Magic Kingdom. They canceled that and we went to Bush Gardens instead. And it mm-hmm. was like, so I was finally getting 
get to Magic, go to Magic Kingdom, and instead, no, we're going to go to Bush Gardens, and it's because parents are homophobic. Like, right. So send your kids to the beer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like, get away from those gay people. Come to the beer park. Kids. Yeah, come to the beer park. Um. The Simpsons will be right back. Look who's headed for the wildest theme park on Earth. Are we there yet? No! Are we there yet? No! The Simpsons! Oh, that isn't good. Welcome to the break, everybody. Henry Gilbert here eating a questionable sandwich. And there's no question this week that Talking Simpsons is proud to have back on the show Rebecca Sugar. We had so much fun chatting with her. Oh, my gosh. We loved having Rebecca back on the Creator Steven Universe. And if you have not checked out yet her brand new album of music, Spiral Bound, please check it out wherever you hear music. She did such a great job on it. And it was so awesome to talk with her about Simpsons, her music. Thank you so much. Rebecca we love having you on oh and and also follow her on TikTok as well she just started up a brand new TikTok that is well worth signing up for thank you so much again Rebecca and if you like listening to Talking Simpsons you should know we're only able to do cool episodes like this with Rebecca Sugar if you are a subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons because that supports me and bob doing this as our full-time jobs listeners there get to hear every episode a week ahead of time and ad free you can hear next week's episode right now of talking simpsons all of our previously released podcast as well on that tier and that means a monthly episode of talking futurama and talk king of the hill are coming your way too us diving into futurama and king of the hill just like we do uh, an episode of the simpsons super duper in depth and you get all the previously released 150 plus patreon exclusive podcast us covering every episode of the critic every episode of mission hill and many of our favorite episodes of batman the animated series you need to see it all for yourself at patreon.com slash talking simpsons But if you want something even nicer than drinking water on an amusement park ride, you need to sign up at the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons because we have all the $5 things. But then for 10 bucks a month, you also get our monthly What a Cartoon movie podcast where we talk about an animated feature film crazy in depth, often four, five, or six hours long, just like we cover an episode of The Simpsons. Last month, we covered 1942's Bambi from Walt Disney. And this month, we are covering a real classic, Porco Rosso, the 1992 Hayao Miyazaki film that we are big fans of. Rebecca Sugar, too, big fan of as well. And we have so much to say about its interesting development, release, and reflect on just how long it took to come to the United States. If you sign up today, you get to hear all the new episodes of What a Cartoon Movie and the 60-plus previous ones we've done. I would estimate that's over 200 hours of us talking about animated feature films, everything from Akira to a goofy movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse to Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe, many films from Disney, from Pixar, Studio Ghibli, too many to name, including our longest podcast ever where we went for six and a half hours about who framed Roger Rabbit. You should sign up today at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons to see everything you are missing out on one more time. That's patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. In, in happier news, though, what I like about this episode is Phil Hartman is all over it. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's playing so many characters. 
It's so great. Oh my gosh, the, I, I'm not a doctor, really. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, so, that's one of he, his, right? I think that's Hank. He's the, the one who says, we found her swimming naked in the fermentarium. Oh, that's, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It's, they give him like six voices in this one. They're really working out Phil in this one. It, he's the announcer on this, and they never actually say if it's Troy or not, or if it's just his general announcer voice. But I love that forever that this joke will be to be completed in 1994. Yes. Like forever, the joke is like in the far off date of 1994. Oh that's my when it's god! Be uh, now, now we are 30 years past that. Oh yeah, and this episode has Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. I wonder how often that happens. Right, Hercules. Right, yeah. he gets to do yeah. that. Oh man, that's true. Also, it's it's funny too with the Simpsons ride. This is just in the news recently. It is rumored that the days are numbered on the Simpsons ride. Uh, because the it's it's uh, said that a Pokemon ride is going to be replacing it soon, and it's going to get sunsetted. Mm. So you're never in the Simpsons ride yet. Too. Oh, the the one at Universal with the screen. Yes, yeah, yeah. The it replaced Back to the Future, and soon it might go through the same thing with being replaced by Pokemon itself. But so. it's nestled in that whole Simpsons area i would guess they're gonna have to get rid of all of the springfield eventually it's uh, if if they lose the simpsons ride then springfield itself would be gone which would be really too bad you'd think they would hold on to it as long as they can since they can't do that ever again probably yeah <laughs> though i guess you know disney world would probably really or disney itself would probably love to have a simpsons thing at their park but uh right I'm sure it's just a matter of time, right? No, it's uh, the the rumor always was that it was just a 20 year deal, not an in perpetuity deal. So we 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 shall see. But yes, we get to we get to see some examples of crazy uh, uh, theme park stuff, including the washing machine, which is just uh, a, a ride that sh- just sprays water directly into your mouth. And, and soap. <laughs> there's there's soap present as well. Yes. <laughs> there's some great crazy faces on them in this one i i really like it this is we we talk about green studio that did this one anavision that they draw like some of the cutest simpsons like they have like the biggest eyes and cutest like dimensions to them that like that eventually i think they got rid of because the the, the producers in america didn't like it as much but i love these the cute the big pupils the big eyes yeah, yeah, this episode's full of great drawings. Google will tell me the sad information that uh, fish do not live long in beer, so don't do that. <laughs> don't do that in real life. Yeah, those those fish aren't long for this world. I mean, funny, they found maybe three different gags for drunk fish, which was very nice. Yeah, and- yeah, they I mean... That seems to be the text here. They, <laughs> yeah. The fish are not doing well. Uh, so yes, the the family though sees all of these horrible things. And they're like, well, we gotta go. So they, they instantly run off to go do it. Homer, it's so great that Homer is, they're fully writing Homer as a big kid now. Like the second he sees a commercial on TV for a theme park, he's like, warm up the car. We're leaving right now. Like, let's get out of here. Right. Well, I love how, it, yes, the kids are both just like, we completely accept that we can't go to the theme park now. And it's Homer that is just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's such a cute he can't take it but yes this is uh, they they then as they're making their plans this is when marge comes in as the uh the wet blanket as she often is now what do we say when we get to the ticket booth we're under six and i'm a college student <laughs> kids i have some bad news your great aunt gladys has passed on gladys gladys about yay high, blue hair, big dent in her forehead? No, honey, Gladys looked more like your Aunt Patty. <laughs> oh, yeah, there she is. <laughs> the funeral's in Little Neck Falls. Looks like we'll have to go to Duff Gardens another time. We understand. No use complaining about something you can't change. But I want to go to Duff Gardens right now. No, honey, <laughs> quit pouting. I'm 
not pouting. I'm mourning. Stupid dead woman. <laughs> Homer, not respectful of Aunt Gladys's memory throughout this episode. Right. I love when he's upset uh, upset about the catering and like oh, yes, pounding on her <laughs> coffin. But it's such great, the way he like, I just love the animation. Director Carlos Baeza, I wish he's another of those, like he's never done an interview. I think he like, by the time they were doing the DVDs, he had moved back to Cuba, but unavailable. But he's one of the best directors back then. And he's, I just love how Homer like stares at the ground and like kind of just shoves his arm down like a, like a giant toddler. <laughs> just like, Meh. it's so good. Uh. Yeah, but I do. I do wonder now if you can get away with that with theme park tickets as much as because uh, now you gotta you can't just go to Disneyland no. now. Like you have to know weeks in advance if you're gonna go. They to they really they really despise the Californians who just wanted to drop by and work on their screenplay. I think <laughs> you're taking up space. These families yeah. want to spend money. <laughs> I have been there at Disneyland uh, about to go in and seeing the people who show up of, and just go like, well, I can't buy a ticket today. Like just these heartbroken families and learning the the very uh, draconian system of going to Disneyland. It, it's so confusing days. that we have kind of stopped going until they figure it out because I'm not sure how it works now. I, I think it was actually easier to go to uh, Disneyland in Japan than it is to go to Disneyland in Anaheim. I'd believe it. You well, and also like you can you can still just pay twenty bucks to get a better ticket. Like just jump in the line like, instead of having to. You you literally have to watch a twenty minute video on here's how to get genie pass. The genie pass is anything. different than lightning lane, which is different than this other thing. <sighs> yes. Yeah. So, but uh, and by the way, Steven Universe now lives on Disney Plus, unbelievably. Like it's, it's yes, very, a very strange well, thing, right? So by by way of Hulu and only some of it, and right, I can't yeah. believe the Steven movie, the Steven movie is on Disney Plus, which is very bizarre. No, I saw, I I think I saw uh, Ian JQ talking about that on Twitter. How like you guys put in stuff in in the Steven Universe movie, like especially the storybook opening to kind of you know evoke classic classic Disney films, and now you're on the same app as those ones. Yes, yes, that's unreal. Also, if you if you go looking for it, you, you type in like ST and it's like Steamboat Willie, Steven Universe, <laughs> like right next to each other. And it's like, what? Like, I, don't, I just, I, I can't really fathom it. It's kind of awesome. It's kind of great. Yeah, we were definitely, we were, I mean, we're always nodding to Disney movies uh, with the show. So that's, that's full circle, I suppose. And uh, so the family loads up and uh, it. I feel like this was intentional that they have every joke about how, what, like the things you aren't supposed to do in a car. Like Bart, Bart and Lisa are sitting in the way back, really, you know, where the suitcases are, no seatbelts or anything. Maggie is in the front seat, which is not where you're supposed to put a car. And then later when Patty and Selma get in there, they are smoking in like the closed doors. Like, but this is how, you know, the writers of the show the, drove around as kids on, on family trips. Yeah, I think oh, it was- I didn't even think yeah. twice about. That. I mean, everyone used to smoke everywhere. That was like, yeah, that is really. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I grew up with uh, adults that would smoke in the car, and if it was cold outside, the windows aren't coming down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it for felt sure. more observational. Like, here is what a road trip was like in the '60s or '70s for the writers. The kids are in the hatchback, rolling around, having fun. <laughs> I remember like doing carpool. Like I used to carpool to Hebrew school, and this person had this a sedan, no, um, a station. It was a station wagon, mm. and they and they used to have seats that faced the back. You're basically sitting in the trunk, like looking out the back window, and <laughs> and it would be so exciting. It's like, yeah, you get to, I get to like see everything moving backwards. And now I'm just like, that's wild. Like if you get rear-ended, it's like oh. you just hit a couple of children. <laughs> it's the worst design ever. But I I definitely remember cars like that. Was was it even a rule at that point to keep 
kids out of the front seat, keep babies out of the front seat. Oh, no, I think it was the normal thing to do back then. Yeah. Now, probably from working on cartoons now, you guys became very aware of all of these safety rules for kids in cars and the like. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, every everything would be like seatbelt. Everyone has to have their seatbelts. We even make a point. Like there's a, a episode with the teenagers where sour cream is like, always wear your seatbelt, which we, which we like. We want to keep people safe. We'll put those helmets on. It's a little extra work. It's good. <laughs> They're they're driving there. They uh the the Wizard of Oz joke of Marge. I mean, I like that Marge is playing like Kavner is playing Marge as like she's in mourning, but like you know it's you know it was an older aunt, so it's not like a a shock, but she's still sad. And then here everybody else around her is making jokes, and she's <laughs> asking them to be serious. Though in the commercials for the episode, you could see that the Wizard of Oz thing was originally just an "Are we there yet?" joke, which yeah. of just the kids repeating. I was it. I was wondering because I could you could. See see that the lip sync didn't match i was like oh this is an adr joke it, oh it was an army that that makes sense that's not certainly not as harsh as uh, ding dong when witch is dead the pause homer has on like uh of well or how bart even just calls him back to be like which old witch and then homer goes the wicked witch just to really drive it home and this is where patty and selma enter the picture and like in principal charming when patty is in a scene with selma selma has the s earrings on because they were concerned and they might lose it after this one i, I think they understood people if an episode is about one of them they will have the dominant role and you'll get to know which one is which right yeah i noticed the earring uh, another mnemonic i later learned from watching the animators talk about it is that patty's hair is uh circular and is meant to evoke like a a uh you know a patty of a burger mm. like is in a beef patty so another way to keep it straight it it also struck me that like homer actually like the joke isn't that homer hate they hate being hugged by homer but homer is not like grossed out to hug them he actually just puts his arm around them to comfort them legitimately like there's not a, the joke isn't that homer doesn't care and they're thinking of macgyver right. uh, nice. months months after he's been canceled so oh, yes, he's no yeah. longer with us either. It's uh, though also this is another time where like Patty is uh, this shows you how things change with, you know, how queer characters are, are portrayed in Simpsons that like Patty. Patty is just written as, you know, like a as the celibate character on the show, not she'll slowly mature into the closeted lesbian to now just like the fully out lesbian character she's been for like 15 years now in the show right but yeah here she's still thinking about M macgyver uh <laughs> right yeah the drive continues uh homer is tricked by his own brain into saying out loud the legend of the dog-faced woman in reference to which is very cruel but it's i at least like homer homer is getting so stupid his brain tricks himself into just saying out loud the, the way he goes like what like he didn't realize he said it out loud <laughs> right. that that's good then we head to the buzzing sign diner which i i really like that's a great it's a, a great gag and i also just <laughs> love the design they have on the kids puzzle that homer's doing because especially because the turn to the treasure chest is so clear and then he instantly like he chooses to go into the crocodile's mouth it's so funny and speaking oh of uh, 2016 that game the witness came out then and i hated it and, and i would gift this scene a lot around that time to show how uh you're just kind of doing placemat mazes and then they you you watch little speeches between them it's not very fun <laughs> i'm still grinding my axe wow. over that game i apologize i haven't thought about the witness in a long time that's uh, oh the oh the um the video game yes oh my yeah. god yes have you oh my gosh have you played the looker no everyone is telling me to play the looker because i'm a known witness hater it's so oh you have to oh it's great it is it is part of my steam library uh, it was also free which helped highly recommend yeah. <laughs> 
so so funny not since pissed i think has there been such a great send up well henry and i we were both berkeley boys so we're allowed to make fun of jonathan blow it was all in good fun <laughs> yeah he was our neighbor for for many years oh uh. that's cool yeah i love how um you'll have to remind me exactly what he says but when when they offer him another placemat and he like homer's homer's answer is is like so it's so subdued which i thought hey. was was such a great topper he's like please yeah <laughs> like, it's sort of like he's uh, trying to reclaim his dignity. later at the yeah. uh in the date with uh, hans moment when he was like very good when he's just yeah. <laughs> so we have we have two men being embarrassed by the uh the server i i've i've used that very good in my life i've i've used that a few times then we have a quick reference to Mart says while well, we're all waiting for our pile let's take a minute to remember aunt gladys they kind of take this straight to the critic but a character just has a memory, and then they say out loud, like, oh, wait, I'm thinking of a movie. <laughs> and they just say the movie name out loud. It, this has nothing to do with the actual content of The Prince of Tides, the film. But even as a kid, I had seen the commercial so much, and they used that shot in every commercial that I recognized it. Like, oh, this is from the trailer of The Prince of Tides. And I didn't do my <laughs> Prince of Tides rewatch, but for fear of flying, I will do it when we cover that episode again. That's a more direct yes. one. Yeah, Lowenstein. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very Streisand episode yeah. because you've got this Prince of Tide reference and then Yentl in the third act. Like it's it's a very Barbara episode, right? But it's uh, yeah, on the critic, many times characters will just think they have a memory and then they're like, oh wait, I'm thinking of a movie. <laughs> I, I think uh, Marge might have Homer's brain condition now where uh, he, he thinks he was in an episode of Happy Days earlier this season. <laughs> yes, that's right. I like it coming from Marge. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really sweet. <laughs> At least she knows. It's also just funny to have a character just say, like, like wait, that's Prince of Tides. Like, just say it. <laughs> Like then we head to the funeral and we have some eulogy funnies again it's another like the the bouvier women are mannish jokes brought in here but i do like the way he the way he says like well i guess most of what i said could be salvaged just that he thinks he thinks he can rebound from this i, I really enjoy upon a reviewing that uh everyone is here because they presumably have some attachment to this woman but whenever patty launches into the very cliche eulogy they all get up and start groaning they're like oh god when 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 patty goes she wasn't a rich woman they all just get off oh i thought they just want they were there hoping to get like a, a piece oh. of her fortune oh you know what that, that i think that's another part of the to me it was like oh she's gonna launch into the same eulogy we've always heard oh interesting yeah. yeah i just thought i thought they were all sort of hangers on hoping yeah I, I took it a little as an inheritance thing like oh well, you're not even in an inheritance let's get out of that's here. when the guy like, goes that. forgot my head <laughs> right it it's the first appearance of droopy voice man who will have a much bigger <laughs> moment in the union episode the dental plant episode. it was him that's, the fir that's his first one oh wow that's, yes that's wild though the the simpsons wiki folks droopy voice man still doesn't have his own page simpsons wiki like get get on that he, he should have his own dedicated he, page. he was the leopold of this season he showed up twice to make the same joke and then was never seen again <laughs> yeah but he should be he has a unique design so yeah. he, he should definitely be counted and uh it's this is also i love that patty this is a joke i got much better as an adult patty's speech is just like she seems to be saying like well, you live alone and you die alone it isn't that tragic but instead she's like she lived alone and she died alone in a way she was an inspiration to me in <laughs> yes yeah right and she and she maybe means i like i like how bright patty is through all of this she's excited about what she gets she gets the clock 
She's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The These invocations to like have a family, all these things, they just like water off her back. Like she doesn't feel it at all. Like she's like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> she is very secure in who yeah, she is. Yeah, they got a clock. She's excited to go get the record of the dogs barking jingle bells the next day. <laughs> yeah. Right. She's got plans. Then we, we head to, uh, after a quick eulogy, the family visits the uh, the body for, for some corpse comedy. Bart, like, touching the corpse, that actually is pretty pretty grotesque <laughs> Bart's case there. But I love that, yes, Homer sobbing over it not being catered. But even better, getting to hear Nancy Cartwright do right. her imitation of Marge, or of a Kavner voice is so good. That is, yeah, that is really nice. It's very much shades of, he sure can, <laughs> yes. from uh, the auto show, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. But then this is uh, where Lionel Hutz comes in for his big appearance. It's such a great scene. And I tried to do a little research on this, but I could not find... Maybe this happened in, in like season 23 or something. But this is Julie Kavner playing five characters in the same scene. And I don't think this has ever been topped of the number of characters. Like, you know, five characters in the same scene. That's, you know, Dan Castellaneta has done that many times. Hey, Harry and Hank have done it many times. but And, and even Nancy for like at a school scene probably mm-hmm. has but but for julie kavner this is ne- i don't think has ever happened since yeah and it's weird that uh aunt gladys is closest to her own speaking voice i saw somebody else online say that aunt gladys i give a listen to her here but it sounds like she's just like julie like shouting like she's just like <laughs> going, and that has made all the- <laughs> yeah sorry i really enjoy her shouting this beautiful poem presumably she was shouting the entire thing but they were fast-forwarding yeah. through. I'm Lionel Hutz, executor of Ms. Bouvier's estate. She left a video will, so I earned my fee simply by pressing this play button. Pretty sweet, eh? <laughs> I would like to start by reading a passage from Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And... Homer? All in favor of skipping the poem? Thank you. <laughs> And that has made all the difference. Now, let's get down to business. To my executor, Lionel Hutz, I leave $50,000. Mr. Hutz? You'd be surprised how often that works. You really would. <laughs> He's not ashamed of being caught at all. He's like, you'd be surprised how often that works. You're really it's inside <laughs> baseball. <laughs> it's it's so great like uh, it, that's the robert frost pro- poem the road not taken which you know it's a great uh, it, it, for planning her own video will it's actually well done because the message she's going to have at the end of the video is like have a family i didn't have a family you should have one so the road not taken is kind of about her so it's it's a good choice by her and it's also not a long poem if you look it up like you can find a reading of it that takes one minute but Homer just fast forwards for it. And it's still so funny to me. Marge is the only one who's like, you know, <laughs> we have to listen to it. Uh, the rest of Gladys's family is also like, yeah, skip this. We don't want to hear this poem. It's, uh, it's a mean joke, but so great. The Homer is like, you know what? They're on my side. Even Patty and Selma, who hate Homer, they're like, nah, skip this poem. We're, we're bored. We don't got the time for it. This is where she starts bequeathing her things, which uh, starts with her potato chip collection. And uh, <laughs> we did some hard research on this because this is a reference to what was at the time one of the most famous clips from television ever. Uh, and I was reading uh, the Wikipedia article about the person and it 
cited that TV Guide once named it what the funniest TV clip of all time, but I couldn't find the actual issue or a scan of it, so perhaps that could be made up. But this is a reference to uh, The Tonight Show from October 16th, 1987. Uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese were writers for the show at that time, and one of the guests was an old woman named Myrtle Young who presented her collection of potato chips that looked like things. And she's going mm. through the chips like, oh, this one's a cat and this one's a cow or whatever. And at a certain point, Ed McMahon points at something off stage or asks her a question and Johnny Carson sneaks a non-chip that looks like things from behind his desk and eats it. And when she turns around, she briefly thinks he ate one of the chips. But they don't let this ruse go on for very long. Almost instantly, he's like, no, here's the bowl. Your chips are safe. <laughs> but... By scamming or by pranking this old woman, they made one of the funniest TV clips of all time, according to people 30 years ago. And uh, if you want to know more about Myrtle Young, there is a whole Wikipedia article about her because she was a micro celebrity with these potato chips. And I learned from this that she was actually an inspector at a potato chip factory, which is, I guess, how she got these chips that look like things. So a simpler time, (laughs) folks. But the people knew what this was when they were referencing. I think I even knew because they were doing like Johnny Carson show clip packages in prime time like here are all the funniest things and here's a, a monkey peeing on Johnny Carson and here's he- him eating the chip so yeah it's very visual so I didn't want to pull up like the clip for it to, to play on here but it's 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 adorable now to watch because this nice little old lady is just saying like this is Bob Hope and he's like wow look at that and just puts it down it's just you know it gets kind of repetitive but he's but to know that really Carson and the writers were just thinking like they the only reason they invited her on was to try to trick her very briefly this this nice old lady she's showing off her chips mm-hmm. but uh, she she laughs along with it yeah, it's i mean she good. seems very sweet one of the funnier mo- one of the funnier things about her collection is the chips don't really look like anything until she gives you a suggestion and you're like eh, kind of <laughs> yes oh well, you have to hand it to the uh, these are beautifully designed props in this episode i mean it really you really can't see the caricature in the silhouette yes. of this potato chip these potato chips look much more like the actual things like i feel like it's an extra wink to the tonight show that jay leno is the most recent mm. one of her chips and that homer i mean also that homer so thoughtlessly like he's like uh-oh and he just takes the next bite of the chip. I would assume all those chips are are gone afterwards. And then and then here comes another big behind the scenes moment as well. I guess also related to another Tonight Show host. Yes, uh, Conan O'Brien. Jub Jub came from what I believe was an intrusive thought. He just started saying Jub Jub all the time <laughs> in the writers' room. So they let this out of his system by incorporating it into the Jub Jub character, who makes about like eight to ten appearances throughout the history of the show. If there is a Selma centric episode, they'll usually remember Jub Jub. Like when they do a fish called Selma in season seven, Jub Jub is along for the ride and they walk off into the moonlight together at the end of that episode. Yes. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. That like Troy McClure promises an ice hot rock for mm-hmm. Jub Jub as part of her, their, their marriage. That Conan this whole time had been just like just saying Jub Jub all the time in the writer's room, just a repetitive thing that it instantly just falls into like when they're like, so what do we call her? This, this lizard that's going to be so important for the ending. And they just look, I, I feel like they the story I'd heard before is they all just kind of turned to Conan like, well, Conan, you gonna just say jub jub like, come on. <laughs> I also love the extra layer that like Marge's mother, who's I always forget they say her name in this. I always thought that she didn't have a name, uh, and it was like one of those things you only learn from the back of trading cards. But she says to my sister Jackie. Jackie yeah. I mean, well, I mean to us, I mean to older people, yes. To us, it's like kind of lost. Where it's like, oh yeah, Marge and the rest of the family there, the Bouviers, which is the name of Kennedy's uh, wife. 
before she became a Kennedy, Jacqueline Bouvier, mm-hmm. and before before she became an Onassis, much later in life. And it's such a great, like again, dark joke that like you know the the mother, uh, Marge's mom, who you know just lost her sister. Her only reaction is just like, why didn't she just leave me the bowel obstruction that killed her? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, she's the only one more negative than Patty and Selma in the room is uh, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. It's something they lose with Marge's relationship with her mom that was like really there in the Thanksgiving episode. They kind of lose. But I I always like that like, oh, but Marge in classic Marge writing like tells that her endless positivity might partially be because her mom was just negative her entire life and told her like, you've never at the risk of losing my voice. Let me just say this. You've never done anything right. Like just lines like that for Marge's mom. They kind of they, they lose that with Marge's mom over time. Right. But you always get this sense that Marge sort of she's un- like the rest of her family that she's that she's so much more sensitive and kind of this sweet sort of flower that bloomed from this you know dark you know mm. place i think too it kind of gives a little context to you know like when you see like patty and selma and homer all want to fast forward through that poem it's like how much of this has to do with why she's with him you know yes like yeah. this is this is what she knows you know this is the <laughs> this is her family yeah and, and jackie bouvier makes about as many appearances as jub jub i i think Julie Kavner didn't like doing the voice. <laughs> it was interesting to see that Marge's mom returned in one of the recent seasons. And I think Kavner had to just completely re-change how she was approaching this character's voice. So the her less, she appears much less in Grandpa. But it's another of those things of like, thanks to the time drift of, of The Simpsons, she and Grandpa both have to be like 110 <laughs> yeah. for their old references to still work. Right. Well, with the sliding timeline, I mean, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> But speaking of clocks ticking, this is where Patty and Selma get their grandfather clock and Selma is given her instruction like now, now, now by her, you know, dead aunt who did not have a family. The look on Patty's face, you can see while Selma is like spellbound by this, Patty's like, hey, grandfather clock, not bad. Yeah, no, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's an obvious but nice metaphor. They don't say biological clock, but that was a popular term of this time. I'm sure it has sexist connotations now where it's like, well, every woman feels this correct. But it's uh, the ticking Mm -hmm. clock with Selma in the backseat realizing her uh, her new goal is is very effective. And yeah, this is a real upping of principal charming because that one has, you know, Selma coming to the realization I need a husband if she wants a husband been in homer is tasked with it now she's like no i need a baby i want to have a baby let's even just bypass the whole husband thing as we as act two is all about that but i love the reaction on maggie is like maggie as a baby fully understands the word <laughs> selma says and she's she thinks she's about to be kidnapped and tries to break out of the car as at the end of the scene <laughs> The way the camera just like passes by them for the shot, like needlessly great mm-hmm. animation to to close out the shot of just like this big moving perspective change. Yeah, actually, shot. I, I didn't put it out in my notes, but I did remember that when they pull up to Patty and Selma, it's all in camera animation where they're faking the camera move around the uh, the front of the apartment. Right. That, yeah. That's wild. I, I can't begin to understand why they would do something so hard this looks great seemed like a lot of extra work for that establishing shot but hey i like how it looks Mm -hmm. and uh so then it's time for uh video dating which was all the rage at the time now again the joke then was was like oh you would date somebody via like this instead of just meeting him in person like literally nobody i know now knows somebody because they met in person (laughs) unless they've been together with a person for like over a decade otherwise like i i met my husband via podcast (laughs) 
That's wild. Yeah. I'm gosh. Ian and I have been together for a long time. We met we met in person, but uh I feel like I really feel how long it's been because I know his phone number. <laughs> like yeah. I know the numbers. Like I I didn't have a phone that like had his number in it until much later. I, I don't know my wife's phone number. When I have to give it to put it on forms, I'm like, oh I I'm a bad husband. I don't have this from that. <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, who has to remember who has to ever remember a phone number anymore? No, yeah, it's uh, that's what the little I button on the my contacts is for my husband's phone number. I'm like, uh, oh right, that's that's how I can put it in this 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 form. But I apparently, Algie and Mike Reese were doing a lot of these video dating services. Uh, Mike Reese found his wife, his current wife, to this day through video dating. And I'm looking at this mm-hmm. scene now. The guy in one of the chairs looks a lot like how they drew Mike Reese at the time. So I'm wondering if they oh. snuck him in because he was a much larger gentleman. You can see a better caricature of him later in the in the front where he's sitting with Al Jean talking yes. about writing the sitcom about the sassy robot. It looks a lot like him, but he talked about what modern dating is now where it's very easy to find a date and there are too many dates and it just becomes like a marketplace and you lose any sort of romantic notion as to like what even love can be. <laughs> but hey, he's still with his wife to this day and they're traveling all over the world together. He, he, too. It's, uh, that's... he better not go on any more subs is what I'm saying. No, that was in- to learn that Mike Reese had been on the sub the, that, that imploded last year what to know that he had, oh yes yeah you didn't he wasn't on the Canada. sub that imploded he was on a different voyage he's still with us yes no he he had ridden it like yeah. months within the same year i think he yeah had oh, and it definitely God. had major yeah. issues when he went under he was he was in the news a lot when the uh seagate correct seagate yeah it was named after it. a tragedy yeah. before it happened but uh yeah he was being interviewed a lot when it happened because he was one of the notable people who went down and came up to talk about their experience oh my gosh also you know this uh the video dating thing too it's uh our pals at the found footage fest go see them live because oh, it's so good the, yes oh man uh in their in the newest one that me and bob saw uh and they're coming to los angeles uh well they will have been in los angeles they're coming next week at the time recording anyway in their new thing they they have a sequel to their dating video series called Video Mate and before they had the guys now they have the women and it's some incredible there's some great great folks in it the, I, I think my favorite is the woman who says that as she's talking about her plan she says she hopes to start her own religion someday like that's her Whoa. Big, that's her big plan cool Wow. Well, that tells you that that's smart. That tells you a lot about a per- this yeah. person's personality. And this thing with uh, Selma tying the uh, the cigarette in her mouth. Now that I've seen it, I know this has appeared in other places, but I'm pretty sure this is a reference to Twin Peaks because Cheryl and Fenn does that with a cherry stem. And Twin Peaks at this point when they're writing it is maybe two years old, one to two years old. So I feel like that had taken over their minds and that was a very iconic scene from that show. Is that where that comes from? The, the tying something in a knot with your... It's tongue? a very popular moment from Twin Peaks, and I'm sure other people have done it, but uh, Twin Peaks had been such a new thing and such a big phenomenon that I really feel like it's a callback to that. But let me know if anyone has seen it elsewhere. Also, I love how when Willie reacts to it, like he's dressed, he's dressed like a swinging singles <laughs> guy, like from the 70s. Like that, that's, that's his like, oh, I'm, I'm going to the video dating thing. To, he's dressing up too in his like big open shirt and all that. I mean, you know, I know they there's constant jokes about Willie being like an unattractive man or a catch. But like, I, I know he's not rich, but he is he is a buff, huge mm-hmm. dude. Like he, he shouldn't he shouldn't have too much trouble. 
But uh, I again, it's another mean joke at her expense, though. Of just like back to the lock with you, Nessie. Another, another right? But yeah, I, and the ending. Though is, I do yeah. like her throwing it out there, just like, "Hey, you looking at free lunch, boys? Like, come and get." <laughs> like she's like, "Look, I I don't know how much more explicitly to put this. Like, I I want to have a baby. Come on, like, let's get to it, guy." Okay? Uh, we then cut to Princess Opal for her second and final speaking appearance oh. on the show. She almost got to three, which would have, I think, really cemented her in this. Yeah, in okay. Uh, so she was in Bart the Murderer, correct? Where she talks about uh, Willie Nelson will stun his fans by swimming the English Channel. Really? <laughs> You yeah. can still do it. It's not too late. I know he just turned 90. But and he hey, still Delta could. Burke never split up with uh, Gerald McCraney. So she was incorrect that's about true. that. That's, that's another of Bob's favorite ones, too. The like, I seem so happy. To I, I, that has stuck in my mind as well. Whenever there's a breakup, especially one that I saw coming miles in advance. <laughs> And I really like the joke with Princess Opal that she is selling her a thing that she then admits is fake, but the way she admits it's fake is by taking truth serum, which actually works. It's very works. complicated, this joke. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to uh, the, the grocery <laughs> store. And uh, and yes, you know, Bob, this used to be your job. Is this Did this ever happen uh, to you, Bob? No, thank God. Uh, I, I loved being a bag boy, though. It was so much fun. It, it, like, I don't, like the Tetris part of my brain loved going to work at a grocery store and uh <laughs> i still say uh when i step into a grocery store i am i could be one of the best baggers in there no matter where i go i never had any competitions <laughs> i know there are some but selma uh, sorry yeah selma's just so desperate she can't find any qualities about this guy so she's like so uh wearing a belt and i, I love after that this is just me repeating the jokes I, I apologize but i love when she's like no suspenders for you huh and he goes i guess not <laughs> yeah yes. i i like the i like the friend who's just like go yeah for it. i like their little like back and forth you get the sense that they're like they they goof off a bunch of work and they've got a good uh, chummy relationship. I I say uh, wh- whoever this guy was should have went for it. Although I do want to hope this pimply voiced teen is in college. Let's say. Yeah, he's yeah. I don't know that Hans moment too. It's like the, yeah, w- swinging wild with the age differences here. The age gaps give you pause, but let's let's assume that this is a pimply voice teen if that is or squeaky voice teen if this is him again let's just say he's 19 let's say that uh for this scene but yeah i if, if we assume that i'm also with his friend arnold who's just like no man go for it like come on what do you like also like squeaky voice teen who are you to turn down selma you know but though i also love dan the way dan plays it of him like not liking this attention and the way he goes like i guess not like he's <laughs> it just, makes us wear really this fun. Yeah. I I also like how he kicks his friend too. Like who, who says like no, it's not like he's, he's letting him know. But and Bob, you didn't wear suspenders at no, work. No, no suspenders. Uh, for you. We had to wear like these yeah. polo shirts, but no no suspenders. Uh, I had to wear belts. <laughs> at AMC, we had specific belt. Uh, wearing i didn't uh, that was uh the i don't know any place where i had to w- would have had to wear suspenders actually well here's a funny uh rebecca actually here's a funny story involving suspenders related to steven universe but that was um for our first halloween together my husband and i both dressed as, as steven universe characters i dressed as as steven uh in his i guess coach attire when he's coaching everybody oh, and yeah. strong in the real way and my husband went as tiger philanthropist and when he put it on and wore suspenders he's just like i think i just love wearing suspenders like this was a, a, a outfit choice but this is much more comfortable than a belt yeah they exist for a reason um <laughs> 
That's I'm so flattered. That's so awesome. I love that. You know, Henry, he can he can go it's... that far, but if you see a bow tie and a straw hat, you have to intervene. <laughs> he will disappear <laughs> those, those on a can't... steamboat one day. <laughs> right. That's appropriate. Yeah, Uncle Grandpa cosplay yes. as well. That's <laughs> front and center suspenders. No, I don't. Why I don't know why it gave suspenders a bad name, but probably uh, all the the corrupt it. southern guys who would thumb him and go, well, well, well. <laughs> I think it's probably a casualty that it's like people just don't layer as many things over things like, anymore, right? Yeah. Like if you're wearing a suit, then it's like you have that, then you have a jacket over top, and then you have a, you'd have a vest over I'm them. I think the the elimination of vests from our vocabulary got rid of the suspenders because they would neatly cover up suspenders i think so then we see the desperation of selma that even as they bring back hans mole man who this is another of these moments of like oh this is a principal charming sequel yeah. like this scene was in principal charming as well pivotal moment because he is named hans mole man here I, I i was looking at the two scenes because they take the design of his license from principal charming but they age him down to being 31 years old based on the scene in duffless so in principal charming he's born in 1921 in this episode he's born in 1961 it was written in 1992 so they're having fun they're following That's continuity amazing. of the jokes right i think they right they need that for the for the joke later of all the little hans molman juniors running around that it's like oh that's just sort of like what he's it's not his age it's just the yeah. way that he is i, I don't think they I stuck guess. to the 31 years old joke but they were this early i just love mm-hmm. that they had that attention to detail on the license but yeah they finally gave him a name he was ralph mellish in his original appearance based on some a bit from a monty python record a very oh. deep monty python yeah. reference yes yeah one so much that even i was like yeah sure i because i don't i know some monty python but like if it's from a monty python record i'm i'm missing that and i mean we talk about this all the time but things that camp out in your brain whenever i'm doing a vision test i do think question mark smiley face <laughs> smiling face yeah. yeah i i love how he's doing it to the menu yeah. Oh, yeah. And if they include yeah, emojis in future vision tests, and they should, I think <laughs> that we can start saying that like Hans Molman. <laughs> I also love his reaction of like when she's starting to ask him out, his reaction is like, did I do wrong? Like he's just <laughs> this, this poor little old man. <laughs> And oh. I, I thought she was going to go out on a date with Jasper, but then I realized that was Bart the Lover and it was Edna. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Right. And there's some overlap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To some of those. Yeah. You know, uh, this was when Aerosmith came to town in the show, but they originally did the like man hungry, uncomfortably man hungry woman, older woman thing with Edna. But I think they realized in those episodes, like Edna's more attractive than they want the the recipient of those jokes to be like it doesn't play as you're supposed to be like disgusted at this woman and and edna's too hot Mm -hmm. that's the problem they you instead go like well yeah edna should get with all these guys (laughs) selma takes him out i also i had this very good moment a couple times in japan recently on my trip to japan because i can read some of menus but uh (laughs) there was a couple times where i would point to an item on the menu and several things would be then said to me in reaction to that and that I couldn't fully follow and I would just have to basically do the Japanese reply of like very good mm-hmm. like yep whatever you said yes yeah I agree I mean uh, I had the cheat code of having my wife there who was fluent in Japanese but the few times she had to like get up to go to the bathroom and I'd order something there were questions that followed and I kind of just put my hands up and said sumimasen <laughs> Yes, yeah. And pointed like that's basically the equivalent of very yes, good. I just pointed to the like the bathroom, like she'll be back. 
to talk to me. <laughs> Wait for her. That's there was a very nice the the worst time that happened. There was a very nice person at the ramen place where basically I ordered three ramen instead of two bowls, and when he saw the three tickets for me, he just got back from behind the counter and and gave me the money back, and I was like, "Oh, thanks. I would have just let you serve me three bowls of ramen but but thank you i because i felt like a genius at first when i got there because i could tell my husband who couldn't read anything i could read like well that's his pork and that's his shrimp but once i sat down and had ordered it a question comes that i later learned is like hey do you want garlic in this i just have to go like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah after he learns it's the wine list and this is when selma takes mole man home she considers their possible future together sees a bunch of um, nearsighted children and I, decides- sorry i love how long this scene lingers on because the kids just keep running into each other and one falls out the window and i think it is a very video-y pause on selma as they zoom in on the couple it just I, it just stays for too uncomfortably long, but I do love it. It feels like they were like, we need five more seconds out of this scene. Like, just pause. I mean, it makes it funnier just to see how long they hold on them after the kid falls out the window and that Selma in the vision doesn't react at all to <laughs> yeah. it. But Selma in real life realizes this is not what she wants. She chucks old man out of the car. And again, it's just not like, this isn't my house. <laughs> like just they, they learned how funny it is to have poor Hans Bullman just make a pronouncement at the end of the scene to, to end a moment. It's this pitiful old man. So then we head back home. We get to see more, be re-reminded of Duff Gardens. Uh, and this is when we get another commercial uh, that includes a reference that completely flew over my head as, as a kid. Come to Duff Gardens, where roaming gangs aren't a big problem anymore. Now featuring the clean-shaven sound of hooray for everything hey kids take a walk on the wild side and all the races sing do do can we go to duff gardens this weekend sure unless another ant dies <laughs> selma your date's over already yeah i was so depressed i ate a jar of expired olives <sighs> I guess I'll never have a baby. And Selma, this may be presumptuous, but have you ever considered artificial insemination? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. you got to be pretty desperate to make it with a robot. <laughs> I knew that. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I don't think I heard, had heard the Lou Reed song until maybe uh, the 2000s. So I, I wasn't aware that they were changing a lyric. Hooray yes, for everything. A, uh, a, a, a lyric that's, uh, you know, problematic now. That's But that's what the joke is that they change it to. All the all races, the races say. Yeah. That's the nice hooray for everything version and, of it. Hey, their yeah. last appearance, hooray for everything. Uh, very short lived joke. Oh. I think people just weren't as into making fun of Up With People as the 90s progressed. We had moved on. <laughs> right, right. Is, I, I thought this must be an Up With People people yeah it's uh we 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 talked a bit more about them in the uh their their previous reference but yeah it was like in in bart versus thanksgiving george meyer grew up hating up with people loving making fun of them they're just so like aggressively clean cut and i i watched a whole documentary when we covered it that time i watched a whole documentary on it and i loved that documentary i thought that was fascinating and it's so it's so intense how dedicated everyone seemed to be that sort of joined this group. And then when you see the late, like what it becomes later where it's just so much more polished and it's like that, that energy is gone and it, uh, it's, it's really, it's interesting, but I was only, I was 
only familiar with it because the Simpsons made fun of it. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it aside Me from too. that. No, yeah, I loved uh, one of my favorite bits from that documentary is when they they talk to one of like the the gay members of the group who was like said, "Oh yeah, it was like one of the best places to be if you were a closeted Christian teen. It's a great place to hide because you just get to sing and dance all the time. But it's not it's not gay if you do it there, right? Oh gosh. But and uh, yes, this uh, is sad. I, I'm sad to see Hooray for Everything go it was great. Mm-hmm. They, they were a joke out of time, but it was so, I mean, also just hooray for everything. What a wonderful name for a group. That's, that's just a great, they just love everything. Hooray. Yeah, this, this brings us to a, a very fun staple of sitcoms and mo- comedy movies of the eighties and nineties. It's the sperm bank jokes. And, uh, yes. it's a way to, because it's a plot point, it's a way they can say, well, Hey, uh, this is just part of the plot. They've got to go here and that's where they can make all their dirty jokes. But here they use uh, artificial insemination. That's an older term i thought it was uh in vitro fertilization that's another older term now i'm learning it's called intrauterine insemination or iui so as uh, as time passes we come up with new terms artificial insemination does sound like weird and alien and, and strange but uh they, they found more medically sounding ways to communicate the same information the, also that yeah as a kid the joke on the sign put your sperm in our hands like uh, a, a shocking <laughs> joke they got away with on in 1990 now, now that i've grown up i think the funnier joke is is established 1858 oh yes that is a good <laughs> you're so distracted by the shocking uh gross out joke that you miss the date i think yeah oh my gosh no i mean these i mean much like other subjects in the 90s when when comedy writers learned about it they're just like oh this is the cheat code to do filthy jokes about about bodily fluids and masturbation on television like i could do like no this is about a thing in the news and it's uh yes it i think uh stern david stern talks on the commentary about going to a, a sperm bank for a research trip on this and he said that his only real finding was that the, they had a spe- uh, what, amazing pornography i think he said yeah an outstanding collection of pornography i think was the quote. that was all of, and yeah. you know uh, these comedies really misled me into thinking that the world of sperm donation was this lucrative because if you've ever donated blood or plasma they're very picky they're like no tattoos or whatever and some t- some have concerns about like are, are you gay or whatever but I mean sperm is being made to make another person you can't just walk in off the street and say but you know I'll, uh, I'll, I'll donate give me money I, I feel like if there are studies they're doing sure but I feel like how things are depicted in comedies if you can believe it are not anything like real life <laughs> these jokes are inaccurate yes. <laughs> but like when I gave plasma for thirty dollars enough to buy Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga for the GBA, uh, <laughs> I had to fill out all these forms and ask, answer all these questions about the the quality of my plasma. But uh, but here Barney just gets to keep donating over and over again, and that's that's what uh, I assume is what turns Selma off from using the local uh, supply. <laughs> supply is uh, a good word for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, all those kids will probably have a beautiful baritone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true they all sound wonderful they may be inclined to you know start drinking but uh, hopefully the baritone <laughs> thing will be more likely for them also i noted this time the the man who runs the sperm bank is the head of the fatherhood institute oh. from- <laughs> he is he's uh moonlighting i guess <laughs> you can see you know related fields too many kids died institute. in that shark tank <laughs> he had to start a new business <laughs> not again <laughs> Not again. This is when instead Selma decides to shop around for it. Uh, note that Troy McClure is on the cover, her future husband. So yeah. she, she almost uh, had a kid with him before that. Some nice freeze frame jokes. Uh, Jacques 
is on the cover. Marge does not comment on this at all. Uh, Dr. Frank is on the cover. And there are a few frames. It feels like an animator's joke, not something in the script, where as Marge opens the magazine, they cut to the table and all of them looking at it. As she opens it, you see a snake and a few other convict-looking men on the first page she flips to. Oh, bad. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's maybe like two frames of the episode. Well, the animators were always drawing Jacques in there. He was like kind of a forgotten dude of to the writers. They're like, no, Jacques just once, but the animators put him in so many times. He's in every opening well, recently he had that huge that huge uh, reappearance. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, he had a whole episode of a few years ago. And and Jacques is in yeah. every opening from season two to like season nineteen or whatever the HD switchover was. Right. And uh, another great joke that Selma and Marge, when Marge sees it's one of the uh, the sweat hogs, which is the group of guys from Welcome Back, Cotter, everybody would think it's John Travolta like that's But but what they wanted was Horseshack. Ron, like in, Ron Palillo. Yes. You know, uh, this drove me crazy as a kid because I didn't know what a sweat hog was. My parents couldn't answer the question. So it wasn't until Nick at Night started airing Welcome Back, Cotter did I get this reference. And I was so elated. Like, I know what the sweat hogs are now. <laughs> I, yes, I did ask my mom, what's a sweat hog? And she she didn't know. So I, I don't think she was a fan. Well, also just the word horseshack, if you don't know the show, like it also greatly confused me yeah. as a child to like, well, huh? Of course, later in life, we'd we'd all learn about him too because on, he'd, he'd, he would appear on a show right after The Simpsons, <laughs> Boxing Dustin Diamond. Yeah, Celebrity Boxing. Uh, now, yes. now both men are gone, correct? Yes. R.I.P. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but. But that's most i mean yeah it's uh, <laughs> they weren't boxing accidents unrelated then they have a mail order husband joke as well which is like it feels like there's like one step missing from it it's just they they sent her a cardboard cutout it's like i feel like there should be one more joke that, i don't know yeah it's stra- it's re- it's strangely soft for for the Simpsons. yeah i guess i guess for- we were talking about old lingo before the the mail order bride mail order husband joke they were tossed around a lot as a and as a kid i assumed like yes a person is sent to you in a box i didn't realize it was a pejorative for you know I, I guess the the idea was or the the idea behind the term was somebody from another country is seeking a partner in a more developed country to live there and yes there mm-hmm. are very negative implications behind that term yeah it's uh now now uh i guess it's more people know it more as the like that 90 day fiance show which is uh that, it's a very popular reality show i do not watch it's kind of it seems gross <laughs> to me to be honest but so do most reality shows they then are trying to talk her out of it and i just love that like selma has an answer for everything here sorry my mind's made up i want to have a kid and this is the only way i can do it why do you want to have a baby so bad I got a lot of love to give. And right now, my only outlet is my ham radio. Are you sure you've thought this through? A child can really change your life. You'll have to give up smoking. I'll chew. No man will want you. All I got now is sperm in a cup. Great, great line reading. That did maybe it's a sad line. It did make me laugh though. It, it, it reminded me of the like you could just suck him out. Is it, it, it her like all I've got is sperm in a cup? Just very yes. resigned, and it is a gross image too. <laughs> yes. 
And now, meanwhile, we all have a equivalent of a ham radio to talk to each other and then people all the time. Mm-hmm. It's it's good. <laughs> I like that she I like that she has a ham radio because it paints this whole something's going on behind the scenes. She's communicating with people over this thing. That seems really nice. But yeah, I don't know. The, this this whole sequence, there's just so much judgment there for you know wanting to like I don't know. It's kind of heavy. I feel like even at the time and ever since, people have got to be watching this who you know are excited and want to be a single parent. It's like ooh. Man, that's just really so much. Uh, it's kind of it's it's it, yeah, it's heavy with. Oh yeah, I mean, this is them tackling the then current ideas of just like oh well, to be to be even just a heterosexual woman who uh, is wants to have a child without a partner that is still treated as like out of the ordinary and something that has to be like fully interrogated. Like though, Marge does have a point of like that. Selma doesn't really get what her life will be like with kids. That's that's the great lesson she's going to get in act three but otherwise they're they're just hitting her with all of like these mean things of just like why you wouldn't want to have a kid i think that's true but but i mean who 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 does know mm-hmm. nobody could know <laughs> like you know from every, everyone i've spoken to who, who's ever you know pursued having a family it's like you, you can't really be prepared you also don't know who the you know the person would be mm-hmm. so so yeah the idea of being like oh you, like you don't know what you're getting yourself into it's like i, I don't know who does it's sort of a Poor, poor Selma. I like, too, that the ham radio represents these broken dreams. Like, at some point, she bought a ham radio. Like, all right, this is going to be me now. I'm going to build this. I'm going to connect with people all over the world, this ham radio. And now it's just an unused thing that where somebody just, who all they do is say, I have a ham radio. That's all it's for. <laughs> right. You're right. All you get to do is connect with people who are also interested in having a ham radio. And that's where it begins and ends. We then cut to a little side story of food poisoning, mm-hmm. uh, which this little clip here, well... The way they react to Homer here, this is another one in our lives where I think Bob has said, use this uh, towards me, I think. <laughs> Do you remember this, Bob? Uh, no, sorry. I thought you were going to play the clip, but I'm, I'm not recalling it. It was when we... we all traveled to uh, Los Angeles and we were going to the, the Simpsons table read and I accidentally woke you guys up because my I listen to podcasts when I sleep but my headphones died and so my the podcast just starts coming out of my phone speaker and I have on my CPAP machine as well so I'm just covered in noise <laughs> and you guys open the door and try to wake me up to say like hey you need, we can hear your podcast and I'm just not responding I believe you you told me later you said like oh great Henry's dead <laughs> I think we had that thought yeah uh, <laughs> while we assumed you weren't no the good time was had by all i i can't believe that's going to be five years uh this november mm-hmm. since we went to that that's um insane this is where homer is not doing so good and the culprit is as usual food oh great dad's dead oh oh eating that sandwich again? Sandwich. Jeez, we hardly made a dent to that ten-foot hoagie. Oh, give it a good hope. Mm. You've been eating that thing for a week. I think the mayonnaise is starting to turn. Two more feet and I can fit it in the fridge. Homer, I found this behind the radiator. I really think you should throw it away. Suggestion <laughs> noted. Um. Marge, I'd like to be alone with the sandwich for a moment. Are you going to eat it? Yes. 
Yes, it's... Homer's dead. Dead serious about going to Duff Gardens. <laughs> now, I will yeah. say, it wasn't until I actually got for real food poisoning that I appreciated this scene because, I mean, uh, there, there are varying degrees of food poisoning. It's a real spectrum. But like a lot of people are like, ooh, tummy ache. I have food poisoning. No, my friend. If you have food poisoning for real, you are like Homer. I got it se- like very severe food poisoning twice in my life, and I was like Homer, delirious, hallucinating. I had a fever. It is intense. So yes, you can eat something that disagrees with you, but for real, food poisoning is fever, delirium, and uh, it, I don't recommend it. Wow, I'm sorry that happened to you. Good luck. And I'm a responsible crazy. eater, but both times it was from restaurant food. Wow. And I, I think yeah. I've told this story before, but it's funny the things that uh, run through your fevered brain as the food poisoning is is being removed from your system. I I got it in 2004 while I was playing Metal Gear Solid 3, and my fever <laughs> dreams were uh, vividly realistic of me being in the game and just being terrified. And then when I got it again in 2021, like the previous night, my wife and I were watching a lot of 90s music videos including ones from Cake and as the fever was coursing through my body the song from uh, sorry a lyric from Sheep Go to Heaven Goats Go to Hell was running through my mind and that lyric was a barber can give you a haircut a carpenter can take you out to lunch and that was just cycling through my head for hours and hours and hours as I was just rolling around and covered in sweat and running to the bath it was terrible so this is finally people stealing food poisoning valor this is an example of food poisoning on the screen this is the yeah. real deal yeah that's the no, I mean, I, I've had some bad, uh, I've had a couple moments like that too, but the, though I also have had the, the Homer, not food poisoning, but definitely the Homer thing of, uh, I, I improved my diet a good deal during COVID, but beforehand I would, if I had like, was in my fridge that was leftovers and, and, and I ate one bit of it and it made me sick. I, I several times would talk myself into thinking like, it was probably something else. I want to keep eating this this old pizza or whatever. I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't the pizza. And then you get struck again in in your your gluttony. And this was ripped from the pages of Al Jean's biography because it happened to him. And they name checked Subway <laughs> on the commentary. I'm surprised that they were allowed to do that. Yeah, it usually gets muted. That yeah. guy. That, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's still i i love when al Jean can pull out a food graining does not like when homer or back then he did not like when homer became a food monster like where there's storyboards where he puts a note on it like come on guys like when homer like is over a pile of candy just shoving candy in his mouth there's that was one of them but i i wonder if they were able to slip this one in because al Jean's like hey this we're not making this up this is from real life it happened to <laughs> al Jean, a normal man a, a non-food yes. monster <laughs> And uh, oh, also uh, this, this sandwich thing reminded me too. Rebecca, you recently uh, shared with the world the, a lost sandwich song from from Steven Universe history. Oh, the oh the meatball sub thing. Yes, yeah. yes, that was re- that was really central to the lost first episode. Not not quite like this. Not nothing about eating a horrifically expired. He just he just likes likes a sandwich and identifies with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. You can't these. You can't go wrong with like a good sub or sandwich joke. I feel like, especially especially like a like a a big long sub is always funny. 
It's a funny thing to see draw, I, though they draw this one extra disgusting with, I mean, when it's purple, it has mushrooms. actual... Like, mus- yeah, there's little mushrooms yeah. growing out. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 that's the, just... That seems far, even for Homer. The finding it behind a radiator is vile, too. Like, I, I've never seen a radiator in the Simpsons' house, but just the fact that <laughs> one spawned so a sandwich could hide behind it is very funny to me. Right. Well, you have to know that it, like, not only was it not refrigerated, that it actually got hot. <laughs> it was right? traveling around mm-hmm. the house, yeah. And was on the it's, like, on the floor, and it's also experiencing heat in order to turn it into the thing that, that it becomes i love that he still wants it even uh, to the very end yes i i i think i have had a couple moments with my husband where he's like you're not gonna eat that right are, are you gonna eat that i'd be like yes <laughs> <laughs> did he slap it into a garbage can immediately afterwards henry usually he's he's thrown away a couple things from my well look i have a liberal view on the five second rule on the ground that my husband does not share and so that's usually where he's had to insist on like no come on that was on the ground too long i'm like ah come on have you ever seen that there's like a, a bill plimpton short with someone like sopping up a, a piece of toast like on the dirty oh, ground yeah. and, no. i don't know i'm sure it's i'm since matt Groening loves bill plimpton maybe that was something people had in i mind. mean when you think of the five second rule just think of the the hot dog on the floor of the quickie mart well sure but that was filthy before well though i've eaten some hot dogs now, the five thought, second so. rule you have to ask yourself how clean are your floors because it, there's a real sliding scale it yeah. should matter yeah that should be that should really be factored in and the, well and the food too it's like is it is it sticky like what like what fell did it did the pizza fall cheese side down because that makes a huge if, difference if like a too. peanut falls on the ground sure a pretzel uh-huh. sure. right can you blow the dust yeah. off of it or is it does it stay yeah a meatball how do you guys feel about uh, a you kick i think that's there's no, no seconds no. there that's it's wet <laughs> it's it's a sponge and are you recreating on top of spaghetti in your home <laughs> Did somebody sneeze? I've cut out carbs enough that uh, the spaghetti is not... It's just straight meatballs now I have occasionally. Spaghetti is is rarer in my house these days. But uh, but fine. All right. I guess clearly I identify too much with Homer in this one. But yes, also the way Homer says suggestion noted. That's also a great, a great, like, suggestion noted. Like, it's instead of. I was going to say, Henry, to follow up on that, vegetables, they can hit the ground. You just rinse them off. You're good to go. So. Yeah, can you wash it? That should be, yeah. Slam a carrot on the ground, wait a few minutes. You can pick it up, rinse it off. You're safe. So, yes, Homer, though, he's trying to tough it out. I also did have this near the end of my Japan trip. I was starting to feel a little sick, and I still. I I had some Duff Gardens hurrah (laughs) moments in there, but I was able to, to. rally for a final night of karaoke and i did i did test myself though i didn't have covid so just in case people worried i was like you know i i wasn't rallying with covid to be like yeah it's time to get out and go to a closed off uh karaoke room and and damn the concert. it was a different infectious disease it was fine yeah exactly (laughs) but yeah then so homer has to give up as he's shaking and and uh very cold i his lips turning blue like his the way he shakes too is like yeah such great animation i I really love that. And uh, this is when Selma takes over. She's going to be the good the good aunt. And I love how Bart says, like, to get to Duff Gardens, I'd ride with Satan himself. And Selma goes like, that's the spirit. <laughs> and I'll, they, they taunt Homer as they go away, too. They go, like, oh, it won't be any fun without you. Yay! <laughs> Uh, but I love solids, and also too the way Marge, the way Marge slaps it back into the uh, the garbage can too is very funny. I guess again, I love that Gene on the commentary. He's telling the story of just like, oh yeah, when I related this, people thought when they didn't know it was from him, they're like, oh, this is ridiculous though, and he's like, oh, but it, it happened to me. <laughs> 
So so he really ate like a non-refrigerated out for multiple days sandwich? I, I think it was heightened for the sake of Homer, but on the commentary he says, you know, every day he'd take a new piece of the sandwich out of the fridge and think, you know, it's it's still hanging in there. I can get I can get a few more sandwiches out of this thing. Okay, okay. I buy that. Not the radiator. But. I also like that Homer says like two more feet and I can fit it in the fridge. So it hasn't been in the fridge for weeks yeah. at this or for at least. Well, week. LG knew you put your food in the fridge or a cool wet sack. <laughs> now I do refrigerate my food. I'm not like <laughs> Homer in that way. They're heading to Duff Gardens. This is where we're getting uh, all of the big Disney park jokes here. The the Duff Pyramid is their version of the uh, the, the the castle or the the uh, the spaceship Earth ball for Epcot. And what a dark joke that like one that. That Duff Gardens would advertise that 22 immigrant laborers died during the construction, but then Selma's like brutal, like, eh, plenty more where that came from. Like, jeez. Yeah, that's a- really not, that's not I, okay. I, I guess like it's, it's such a dark joke. And then this time I noticed, and I'm sure I always saw it, but I never thought about the implications. The workers are buried on site. Yes. There, there is a graveyard also, next yeah, to right. the pyramid. Yeah, the, the the tourists are looking at it. Yes, it's a very it's a very dark joke yeah. they got away with there. And then they get past the turnstiles, and I for real had this very moment when I went to Disney Tokyo Disneyland uh, just last month. Of like the second you get past the turnstiles, there are the characters waiting for you there. And I really, you know, yeah, for me it's like ah, Goofy, Mickey, all those folks. I see them everywhere. But they had Uncle Scrooge there in his uh, Ducktales blue coat. And my husband and I really did go like, oh my God, Uncle Scrooge, Uncle Scrooge. We just ran right over to try and get a picture. But wow. uh, but here it's the seven duffs. And I have a quick history on the ye old seven duffs because there's only four named here. Tipsy, queasy, surly, and remorseful. Now, uh, when they get to the Pygmalion episode, which is where uh, Mo changes his face, they get the pink elephant balloon. Sleazy is mm-hmm. there and named. And then uh, it will be two years later in the Simpsons hit and run game game where they have to name two more and they are edgy and dizzy and so if you go to universal uh orlando or hollywood you will see topiaries of they basically have a little part that is like duff gardens in the area and you'll see topiaries full size of the seven duffs i thought they made up the three four that universal did it but it was taken from the hit and run and, and second episode. Yeah, me too. So. I, I thought, I mean, I, I guess like whoever wrote whoever wrote the theme park came up with those. But yeah, they made previous appearances. And to me, Dizzy is a lesser version of Tipsy. I think there's too much crossover there. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit redundant. I agree. I do like that they follow the Snow White rules for the Seven Dwarves, where it everybody ends with a Y except for Remorseful. Remorseful <laughs> is the bashful of the of the group. Uh, Surly is the grumpy, who is everybody's favorite, or at least Grumpy was like the star of the '90s. Like he was he was on all the shirts before it became the Minions oh. memes on on Facebook. It was like Grumpy with his arms crossed, going uh, say, saying something. He was crazy. a very like it me kind of character. If you didn't have the grumpy uh, shirt, you had the Tweety jean jacket where she's cross or he's crossing his arms and looking badass. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Snow White is that it's really a movie about mm-hmm. Grumpy. And he's the character that arcs, and he's the. It's like that's the he's he's the entry point. He's the person who needs to be convinced. Everybody else kind of just doing their thing, but it's really a movie about him, him and his relationship to Snow White. Yep. And then at the end, it's like you know he's the one that cares mm-hmm. the most. Oh, it's great. That's, I, I feel like there's lots of great reasons to love Grumpy, but if, um, if Disney, it's kind of like how like, like Sleeping Beauty is really about the fairies. Yeah, you know? I, I, I oh, agree. Yeah, and if yeah. Disney was allowed to continue their direct-to-video efforts, I mean, they 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 were going to make Dumbo too. 
they had already made Bambi 2, I think we would have seen Snow White 2, Grumpy's Quest, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I love I love how committed Surly is to his character in Duffland. Oh yeah, Surly is right up there with, you know, the uh, the the people who you see go viral of like, oh, this is the best Gaston oh. actor in the world at at, at, at Disney are World. Like the, same deal with with this Surly. The face actor. characters? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, those are some of the most fun at the at the parks, the face characters, especially well, I mean, it's the villain face characters. Like if you meet a a Corel DeVille who's having a lot of fun, you're like, that can make your your day or uh, I I watched a very funny video of these games theme park fans i i follow online there they were so excited to meet maleficent mm. and maleficent was just like oh yes finally the my adoring fan you see henry all of these things scare me i don't want to be close to them you ran you know screaming up to george uh sorry george Mc, no scrooge mcduck whatever his name is george <laughs> duckley whatever <laughs> when i was walking around i saw king louis and like he had like a coterie of monkeys with him and i thought like we have to get away i do not want them interacting <laughs> with me this is terrifying oh i was at at some point it was it was post yeah post pandemic i went to disneyland and I, I wanted to check out there was a new star wars ride that i had never gotten to see and and part of it was that at the line it had one it has one of those clever lines where it's like a lot of line feels like ride and the the difference between line and ride gets a little blurred and as you're going in it's like you're a, you're a rebel but you're being captured by these imperial soldiers and it was one of those things where the where the the cast playing the uh imperial soldiers were were, were all doing the part like they were all stern faced and they were all ribbing the park going quote unquote rebels like as you were <laughs> as you were filing in they're like they're like telling you where to go and they're yelling at you and they're sho- shoving you around to get get you in the right line but also it's like they're supposed to be capturing you and there was this one uh soldier there, there was a kid whose whose mask was down and she points to the kid and she's just like wear your mask properly it's not that hard <laughs> and this this kid's mom Whoa. flipped out was just like you do not talk to my son that way like totally missed that this was like oh wow part of the bit like oh this you know they're like hassling all these uh and they were ribbing every i mean they were ribbing everybody they were like they had, like they told you to like stand on a color and if you if you stand on the wrong one they like tell you what an idiot you are anyway <laughs> See, it was really fun but it was definitely lost on i think people especially when it comes to masks were so uh hair trigger mm-hmm. about it that's what really reminds me of though it's like oh you know it must be fun when you get to play a, a less than positive theme park character and run around and kind of hassle people I, I i love that ride but during that part of it i just felt hot and afraid i thought i please don't talk to me i think my greatest fear is being pulled up on stage for anything or just i'm not ready <laughs> oh, to yeah. be part of a bit I yet i don't have material and they're like okay you have to play along with a thing and i just i it, i completely just like whiz it down my leg i, I fail in every instance of this <laughs> I got shamed. I forget how they shamed me for something. I was like, I like stood in the wrong place or I looked at the wrong spot. And I totally, I like felt it. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Surly Duff is one of the all time great characters. Just like, I love that Hank plays him with a, such a certain like meanness. And just like, I, I mean, cause they, they even say he like improvised like the shut yeah, up. Yeah. The, the shut like, up is, is oh, like the perfect tag on that uh, joke we see later. But yes, we, we then head to a, well, it's called the beer hall of presidents. So it's, very direct like hall of presidents but when they start with lincoln standing up like then it's much yeah. more the great moments with mr lincoln and, uh i don't know if you you folks have seen this but uh i watched the great moments with mr lincoln thing once in the entire 
performance is waiting for a robot to stand up and then it's over once the robot <laughs> right. stands up so uh, like the second we cut to the beer hall of presidents lincoln stands up so just cutting to the chase right that's true and i similarly i, f- I feel like i've i've seen that in an almost entirely empty theater as well <laughs> it's if you're looking for a place to sit down and feel air conditioning mm-hmm. uh go to the great moments with mr lincoln it's uh but like a lot of disneyland things it's, it's such a cool piece of history you know it was such it was such a huge deal that he's that he could stand like that yeah you know i like it much more than the 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 hall of presidents i visited once and it's just like it's like mr lincoln overload it's just like oh well you liked mr lincoln what if it was every president Mm. and and then on top of that of course like now it's just like they just need to blow it up like it's just a problem it basically for the last like 20 years it just turns into this far more political than i think that they uh they imagined when they made it in the 70s though even in the 70s it's like they should have figured like nixon was going to get booed at at the hall of presidents when they i am now a bigger fan of the sit down and be air condition robot attractions the first thing we did at disneyland in japan was see uh the country bears it was delightful and i I also love like the kitschy disconnect of seeing hillbilly bears sing to you in japanese very charming no it's wonderful i i enjoyed it too especially because occasionally they'll sing in japanese and then they'll cut to their english instead and it just bounces between though that was another my hubby had to direct me that i accidentally like sat in front of this like family blocking their view at the very start and then i was like oh sorry I like had to scoot away to give him give him full view. I felt pretty bad about that. But. So we have we have two food food poisoning jokes in this episode. We also have two foam dome jokes because we cut from the beer hall of presidents and where FDR is wearing a foam dome as he's sitting in his wheelchair. We cut from that to Homer in bed wearing the foam dome with Pepto Bismol in on the sides of the foam dome. You're right. It's it's a vision of foam domes back yeah. to back there. I though I always miss it FDR. <laughs> that that I mean that's the most insulting one that they put it on FDR's yeah. head like the foam dome. And I, I forget, think. I think it was in Radio Bart where the foam dome came from, but they named the foam dome. I think in real life it was called the beer hat or something very mm. uh uncreative like that. Foam dome yeah. was way better. Oh, yeah. Four score and seven years ago we took the finest hops and barley to brew a refreshing full bodied lager. Whoa! I'm rapping A.B. and I'm here to say if you want to drink beer, Duff's the only way. I said the only way. Break down. This is a disgrace. Settle down. Anything this bad has to be educational. Bart! Let's see if they wore underwear back then. Yeah! Do you feel any better? No. What are the odds of getting sick on a Saturday? A thousand to one. Well, to cheer you up, I rented a couple of videos. Boxing's Greatest Weigh-Ins and Yentl. Yentl? What's that? It deals with a bookish young woman's efforts to enter rabbinical school. Sounds great! Oh my god, you're delirious. So I also love Selma saying like anything this bad has to be educational. Well, while Lisa is disturbed at how how uh, it's destroying history, <laughs> though I mean, as far as an animatronic go, that he crushes the can on his head and that it must have to like pull back every time. Like that's impressive animatronic work. Too. So when they cut to the the parents at home, this is where I caught another thing that Stern really loves to put in his work because he also he wrote Homer Alone and he wrote Camp Krusty, and both of those have like what do the parents do when they're free of 
of children type moments. And uh, this is right. uh, uh, another just wonderful moment of like, Marge starts by convalescing Homer and then it uh, it, it grows from there. But yeah, the, the joke here too, again, it, the joke is no man would want to watch a Barbra Streisand movie, especially Yentl of all movies, but that Homer is interested. That's what makes Marge pure, sure he's delirious. Right. Yeah, this third act is so packed, but I like how they can ricochet between what's happening at home, fun theme park stuff, and then uh, Selma kind of failing at what she thinks motherhood will be. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I just love that how that Homer is just like very up for, for Yentl. And he still, you know, as he gets better, he still likes watching it. Even then, I, I have not yet seen that movie. I need, again, uh, it's been a Simpsons reference for forever. I have not seen it. I Especially I need to see it because our, our pals at Blank Check have started their Streisand era of covering all her, her films. And so I'm going to need to watch it to, to be able to keep up with our Blank Check buddies. Oh, yeah. Yentl's great. Homer comes um, up with a better tagline than the poster, than the official tagline. <laughs> I looked it up on Letterboxd, and the like the tagline for the film is, in a time when the world of study belonged only to men, there lived a girl who dared to ask why. I think, I think she puts the she in yeshiva. So great. <laughs> I also love how it's it's slightly later, but the way uh, Hartman plays the line of like, oh, Yentl, I might have known. <laughs> I assume not a line from the movie. <laughs> No, yeah. I don't think so. Um, that I, I'm trying to remember what it was. There's a line in a song in Yentl that's one of my favorites of all time. It's where she's like trying to figure out what she's going to cook for this guy, and and this the lyric is like the que- the question to roast or to not roast, or maybe I'll make him a pot roast or something like that. I don't know. The rhyming of not roast and pot roast was as I was studying musicals for the Steven musical, I was like taking notes on this. So I was like, that's transcendent. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But it's wild because there's so many songs sung by Barbara Streisand. It's like, it's it's so much from Barbara Streisand as the character of Yentl doing solo song. It's like, it's like if you're watching something where everything is people who love people, like just like back to back to back to back, which is, which is what I think makes it sort of a unique musical because you're really just following this singular character singing a series of songs but the story that it comes from it's interesting because in the because the movie version of the movie version of Yentl is very much like oh she's a she's a woman but she has to sort of pretend she's a man but but the story that it originates from at the end um, is much more ambiguous or sort of like winds up genuinely questioning Hmm. her gender not so much in in the movie it's like not the spoiler spoiler the movie but in the end it's just like yes I can be you know I'm I'm a woman and I can fully be a woman again and it's like that's actually a bit of a departure from the origin of the story anyway i love oh. yentl well, <laughs> well thank you uh, see we i was hoping you'd know something you'd school us on we, yentl. we will both watch uh, we missed yentl we'll both watch the prince of tides for fear flying we'll see you again in 2028 <laughs> right i haven't seen prince of tides like i should check that out they, they then cut to another another great joke about beer goggles uh which i well they they don't sell those glasses there but they do have uh you know i shouldn't say great joke because it's another like mean selma's ugly joke but um it's it's well visually executed mm-hmm. i'd say though it's also like very disgusting as well yeah. where bart thinks his aunt is trying to seduce him yes yeah, yeah that that joke is really disturbing it's like when he has the things on he's just like what now he's like, excited to be talking <laughs> to his hot relative like yeah. what, like what is the, what is this uh it's kind it's kind of weird 
But uh, but you can't buy the beer goggles, but many Duff branded items are a big part of Universal. Like it makes me wonder, like if Simpsons were to get to the Disney parks, would they have as much of this beer themed merchandise as they do at mm. Universal? Because that's you know, it's not it's not like they don't sell alcohol at, at Disney anymore like it used to be. But they they at Universal, they really lean into Duff at it maybe they centralize it because like you know you can like go into the star wars cantina and like have a drink so maybe if they like built a like concentrated all that stuff yes. inside of a Moe's or something thank you rebecca and, and then took you have, you have to make like a separate reservation to get in there probably sorry to interrupt you um and then there should still be a little robot dj for some reason at Moe's because that's so he stole it sorry to interrupt you rebecca that has been my pitch for the longest time if they if they absorb simpsons theme park things into disney world disneyland make the star wars cantina experience at Moe's, that way you can actually get the flaming Moe that's on fire. Yes, that would be fantastic. It will be $35. They'll the... let you keep the glass, but still you'll have the experience. It'll be purple, not orange, like it is at Universal Studios. That would be nice. There should be a there should be a Homer that like comes through the rafters and yes. does the whole cough yeah. syrup bit. Oh, that's great. Yeah, every like, 30 like, minutes. Uh, like uh, every two hours on the hour or something. Yeah. Uh, of course, it couldn't be Aerosmith there. They'll have to get a current band to... Uh to be animatronics there as well and perform every like 10 minutes. <laughs> then comes another line I've said many times in, in my life. Oh, this looks like fun. A bench. Kids, what do you say you go get your Aunt Selma's beer smoothie? No, come on, Aunt Selma, we gotta go. Just, uh, I've had to explain it to my husband when we've been at things and I go like, Oh, this looks like fun. A bench. And I just want to sit down and I'm like, hey, you need to know this is a Simpsons Before reference. you go to a theme park country, you need to screen this in itchy and scratchy land for him. <laughs> I think I did before, our, uh, in between uh, visits to parks, because after the first one, uh, we when we went to Disneyland together for both our first times, I think I made enough references and I'm like, all right, you're going to just have to watch this. When I, when I reference Nazi supermen or our superiors, you need to know it's a Simpsons reference. And I'm not just saying that. Now, when we go, that. I'm going to be saying a lot of crazy <laughs> things you have to know i didn't hit my head i didn't have a stroke yeah. these are simpsons references just the feeling i as i got older i learned to embrace the like i understood selma's excitement at seeing a bench yeah that's very real do they ever have this is just going back for a second do they ever have b-sharp performances at universal no, no no although you could you could have seen the dapper dans at uh, i believe it was at disneyland henry oh they're yeah. still around not yeah. the original 1990 Two, uh, two or 1993 Dapper Dance, though. That seems like a slam dunk if you, you know, especially if it does end up at Disneyland to have a, you know, a barbershop quartet doing Simpsons tunes and, and, and anything, you know, that would be so nice. Yeah, it's really too bad the Dapper Dance don't do it yet and have been, I, I've been wanting to hear it this whole time. But yeah, I feel like Universal, sadly, they're not going to employ the barbershop quartet like that, that they deserve in, in Springfield. I mean, you know, it's a budget thing, I, uh, probably. <laughs> right. Or have them do the have a, if if they ever make that mo look somebody's got to tap both of us bob to make this mose yes. <laughs> because they should they should have them perform on the roof that uh, would be so great they could do that like rebecca every day. and myself both consultants on this paid consultants on this project <laughs> yeah well i don't they should probably pay the people that wrote the episode, <laughs> episode Give the jeff martin uh Seventy thousand dollars too. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. But that would just fit right in on Main Street, you know. Just slap, absolutely. Slap right 
This then, uh, you know, also as as a as a person, I still have not gotten to be an uncle yet to anybody. <laughs> I have not experienced this, but this does feel like how it feels like the window of a childless person who just like, oh, going to a theme park with kids is they make you stand in line for things you don't want to, and then they are just like grabbing at you and and yelling at you to do things, and it's like it it's it's what finally turns around. I mean, it's also the joke is that Bart and Lisa, uh, but especially Bart, are so bad that it'll make you not want to have children like that's that's what it does to for selma i think there's that i think i think the the real climax of it is when she tells lisa to drink mm-hmm. the water i think everything else is just like oh this is uh this okay this is this is going to be stressful for anybody who's who's doing this but it's like that's the that's the one part where it's like uh as a parent figure to these children, you have truly failed. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when they're when they're stuck on the ride together, when she just commands her, like, "Okay, this is how I can get the kids to stop arguing." Bart, shut up! But Lisa, you do have to drink the water. Like it, <laughs> it makes a certain sense to uh, if you're like, if you're not give really them both thinking. what they want. The quickest path to shutting up is basically what she's looking yes. for. Right, uh, and uh, also those beer smoothies—they do remind me of just like all the treats I eat at. Like that was—I loved going on the rides in Disney Tokyo Disneyland, but they were second to making sure i ate every treat that was on a list of like the best food at the tokyo disneyland then we cut home homer is loving yentl and this is when marge sees that homer's got his energy back and she introduces the thing this is a a very good parody of the kind of like comedy adult entertainment of the 70s the one i looked up i was like and i only know this because of the muppet babies but uh flesh gordon was the one i was i assume this is sort of like a european kind of thing too that they wrote in Troy McClure and Norman Fell, aka Mr. Roper from Three's Company. <laughs> they roped yeah. in Roper, yes. No, I mean Norman Fell is Zeus that's a great joke but yes the the Flesh Gordon was made in the 70s that was a parody of the Flash Gordon things that I mainly know because they did it as a cutaway on Muppet Babies without them realizing it was taken from adult entertainment of the 70s and so it's another of those lists of like oh this will ne- this is another reason why Muppet Babies will never be replayed hmm. anywhere this also is like a callback Troy McClure set this up in Mr. Plow like it was one of his movies he named that he was proud yeah. of and now they're watching uh, it. Uh, in the like in the Circus of the Stars parody that's one of the things he name checks right yes yeah though also again as a kid just the idea of like my parents having fun without me like i didn't even understand what was happening with bar margin homer but these just the jokes fortunately like flew over my head to to adults it's a good these are good jokes about like oh you're finally free of your children what do you do <laughs> what do you do with the afternoon and homer homer enjoys uh you know the the week the weekend the day why well, the, the time period is unclear i guess he does say it's a saturday yeah. he says like what's the saturday getting sick on a saturday a, a million to one or whatever so i guess it's just the one it's, day it's a then, fuzzy yeah. timeline because so like patty's like see you tonight and then it feels like she comes back during the day so maybe there's like an overnight stay we're not privy to I don't know right it might, that, honestly that could just be a, a missed mm-hmm. palette or they forgot <laughs> to put crickets in the music bed or the sound bed when they return <laughs> though also I, I have to say like it, it says something about Marge's attraction to Homer that right after he has had horrible food poisoning she's like ready she's like ready to go you know like it's not to I turn off in order here having... but that's you know, just me <laughs> But okay, then we cut to the big Small World parody. Like Now, this made me think Small World was the worst ride in the world before I ever wrote it. Like, because this is... I think I saw other jokes about it too, but this one especially is like small world sucks. Like is the, is the point of this joke. It's annoying and repetitive, but I mean, that's been in so much stuff. There's still, I feel like that was even in the new Psychonauts game, which is very new. Oh yeah. Like still making fun of. 
it's a small world. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really write. I didn't write it until I was 18, and I thought, well, that was fine. It, it is unconscionably long if it, because a Disneyland ride is 90 seconds to two minutes. This is like a seven or eight minute ride, which is an eternity at Disneyland when it comes to uh, a very slow moving vehicle. But I mean, sorry for name checking Tokyo Disneyland a million times, or I guess this is Disney Sea. But uh, Henry and I have now been on uh, Sindbad, the Sindbad ride, and uh, it's sort of like a like a much more heightened version of it's a small world where you're 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 on a little boat you're moving through this fake river and you're seeing like puppet dioramas but a story is being told even though the same song is playing throughout albeit with uh different lyrics as you're reaching different scenes hmm. no yeah it's um the best right i wrote it like five and times it's incredibly easy to ride by the way uh thanks yes. to podcast <laughs> the ride for letting us know about this because they they broke the news sindbad good ride <laughs> it's uh you know i've written small world twice in my life i was tempted to go on it in japan just because i was curious how they pace it differently you know because of course it, it's a small world written by the sherman brothers i watched a funny clip of one a uh, while back of one of the sherman brothers introducing the song and he's like even he joked of like either you love me for writing this song or you hate me for writing this song and he starts you know I, I go every time because it's just instead of sitting on a bench and looking at your phone for seven minutes you can sit on a, a little boat and look at your phone for seven minutes and it's <laughs> you're not looking at all the cool sculptures and puppets i and still am thing? but it, it's just it's also like like sinbad it's very easy to get in line and go on that ride it, it's like the boats are crammed full of people the line's constantly moving it's not like you know a high profile ride where you are in line for two and a half hours right that's true. I did wonder, I didn't get the answer to this because I didn't write it, but I, I wondered if in the Japanese version, you know, that it must start in Japanese, but then you must go to one room where they're singing it in English as part of the many different uh, ways it is sung in uh, different languages. Yeah, I can't remember. But... We did go on it, but I, I didn't I didn't flag that. Tough beer for me, tough beer for you. I'll have a dove, you have one too. Tough beer for me, tough beer for you. I want to get off. You can't get off. We have five more continents to visit. Hey, Lisa, I dare you to drink the water. I'm not sure that is water. Chicken. Bart, be quiet. Lisa, drink the water. It's now it's time that we now turn to Simpsons Predicted It Corner, our favorite part of the show. Oh yeah. And I'm surprised. I think the world is just burnt out on Simpsons Predicted It Stories, or that like search term no longer gets people money, so it's now being pushed down. Because in November of 2023, a man likely on an acid trip, uh, he said they said he was on a controlled substance that was not revealed what it was. He did strip naked and get loose on It's a Small World 
surprisingly in Anaheim, I thought this was going to be a Florida man style story, but no, it happened in California. And many videos of this man in various states of undress, uh, people are stuck on the ride for 90 minutes. So this would have been a a park wide debacle if Lisa got loose and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. got out the emergency exit as she's doing in this scene here. It's amazing that this actually happened and that it only it took this long, though maybe this has happened before and Disney could keep things more under wraps. But in the and they are when everybody has a phone i pulled up one of this uh like witness things from it and it just also is like the person says once he got to a different part of the ride he ended up walking into the water and started drinking the oh. water so he oh, even no. officially drank oh the my water. god he had i mean this guy was not like an old man he had to have seen this episode and it's something that we all think it is an intrusive thought like what if I got off the ride and explored here I mean that is why uh, I love the Monkey Island games and that's where they came from Uh, the creator was like what if you could get off of Pirates of the Caribbean and hang out in this world wouldn't that be fun and but I mean it takes a lot of drugs to actually get you to do that I guess And the story about drinking the water and making you delirious came from then at the time Mary with Children writer, but future Simpsons writer now passed away, Kevin Curran, who seemingly told Al Jean this as a big goof, as a total lie, that he drank the water once on Pirates of the Caribbean and was delirious for three days. The water is that septic or there's something in it. That's that's the the theory there. But apparently he denied it later. So Al Jean is not sure where the story came from, but it's something that he heard once that was passed on him. Obviously fake. But uh, wouldn't it be funny if it really happened if a little girl had an acid trip on a on an amusement park ride? Well, here it is. <laughs> Well, it's such like a cartoon thing, too, that like they, you know, your characters in The Simpsons can't like legitimately take drugs. But in a cartoon, you can do a thing that is technically not drugs and then just it lets you draw your Ralph Steadman acid trip in in your cartoon. Yeah, I mean, watching it 30 years later, I'm thinking this is so subversive that this little girl is allowed to go on this journey. And then they do it again this season when Lisa gets gassed at the orthodontist. Oh, yes, that's true. Oh, the yellow and then Mar- like, I used to think that was so it, funny. It's oh great. And then Marge gets dosed uh, later in like season six. Uh, has every character been dosed at this uh, at a certain point in history? I don't know. In the show. Bart, mm. Bart has the squishy. Yeah. The super concentrated squishy. Homer obviously has his spiritual journey. Homer... So, uh, much yeah. later in the series, Homer does eat the baking soda that's in the fridge, that's been in the fridge for decades, and he does go on a trip as well. So, right. Oh, yeah. Well, there's the, chi- the, the chili, chili. The chili pepper is the most famous one, yeah. So, yeah, you know, they all the all the characters. I mean, right, Rebecca? That's one of the fun things in animation. You can have characters go on these psychedelic trips, but it's not really like you're not, you're not doing a drug story. Your characters aren't taking yeah. drugs. Well, it's it's funny because the the psychedelic animation sequence is is such a staple. And I, I feel like that's a really classic Disney thing too, right? Yeah, like pink oh, elephants. Um, like <laughs> that used to just be the climax of just about everything. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, entering some sort of totally surrealist psychedelic fever dream nightmare, and then coming out of it for you. Also, old musicals too. Like if you watch like Oklahoma, it's like you, you you know you hit the hour mark, and it's like you're just in a complete like tri- just. Yeah, that, there's yeah, it's like a dream. There's ballet, a 17 right? minute uh, interpretive yeah. dance sequence in Oklahoma that has no dialogue and everything is very <laughs> impressionistic. It's there, there. It's not no, no part of it is ground in reality. It's like on stage, basically. Mm-hmm. Singing yeah. in the rain. It's like yeah, you just you, you have to depart. I, I I love that in old movies, but um yeah, I mean it's so fun to do in animation to try and capture that kind of thing. I like what they're doing with the trace the traces left behind by Lisa's arms and her dancing and but yeah, the the chili pepper episode is definitely the 
and and Yardley is having so much fun with her just screaming like no way out no way out I tell you now her scream turns into a laugh like it's it's so great also I just love how they repeat uh, they, they say they wrote more to those lyrics but they decided like nah just repeat Duff Beer f- just repeat the one <laughs> lyric over and over again to make it the, as horrible as possible that was a good that's a smart choice yeah it really it, it really stays with you too though you know in real life, if you want to know the why the, the pirate's water, it has a very specific smell to it. Uh, I looked this up. It's because they don't use chlorine in it. They use bromine uh, as their oh. So that's why it has its very specific scent to it. So you're, you're going to get sick just because it's full of a, of a cleaning chemical. It's not that it's filthy. It's that it's far too clean. That's... And, and you're not going to trip. Right. And I would say I swallowed as much water as Lisa did just by riding Splash Mountain. Like that much water just went in my <laughs> mouth from getting far too wet on Splash Mountain. Yeah, they must take some because that stuff does get all over you. They must take some sort of precautions. I can. Again, I've complained about this, too. I, like when before. But the last time and the final time I'll, I will have ridden classic Splash Mountain. The, on the first little drop, I was in the front seat and a bathtub full of water just fell on me. And I was like, well, I'm just ruined for today. Like, this is just, this this sucks. Never, never again. Hey, after going to uh, Disney Sea, 20, sorry, sorry, no, Journey to the Center of the Earth is a better Splash Mountain. Oh, it has yeah. that awful oh, yeah. drop that I hate as well uh, that I didn't know about ahead of time. <laughs> See, I can take those drops if it's just one in a ride. Like I said, a, r- a regular roller coaster, too much, too many of those drops. But if it's, if I know it's just one, I can take it. The first one I ever went on like that was a, was this Pompeii themed ride. I can't even remember where it was. Maybe that was at Bush Gardens. Oh yeah, I think that was at Bush Gardens. Yeah, this Pom. Yes, that sounds familiar to me. Yeah, that had a that had a pretty substantial drop. At least I thought it did when I was like eight. And uh, see, so, yeah, uh, Lisa freaks out. She she runs off. This is when Selma completely loses sight of them. And this is we have a we have a quick sexy cutaway to Erotic Adventures of Hercules, and then we're back to another great parody of the Main Street Electrical Parade. It's it's so, I love all the duffified drawings of the the stuff in the parade, even the yeah. music in the background that is great is animation perfect. of Lisa like basically kind of dancing just kind of like waving her arms and, and moving all crazy in front of the floats very yeah. nice again you're 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 gonna get uh lisa would be then later itchy and scratchy land has much more jokes about the uh the the disneyland police state yeah. that that aren't coming through here it's not as intense here where they're they're kind of stormtroopers and not the star wars kind in um in uh, itchy and scratchy land <laughs> you know when you watch the the tiktoks of that guy uh to go back to that guy he is more i mean eventually they do grab him but i think the videos start with the employees going like please you're gonna hurt yourself please stop please like yeah it's not, they're, they're being nice until they realize force is necessary they're like sir come on come on now let's go come on it's yeah. no nope sir no no <laughs> and then it keeps going until until they get the the strong arms out there meanwhile bart sneaks onto a ride and uh this is another one i just say all the time uh, like when he says i better ask my supervisor Better stop yeah. it. Like that, I have said that so many times. Better stop a, it. A lot of squeaky voice teens. Uh, Bart being condescending to the guy and the guy going, thank you, sir. Yes. You're doing a bang up job, Mitch. But this is when the kids get caught. My mom loved, I remember talking about, uh, Rebecca, you mentioned, you know, the, the joy of watching things with, with uh, loved ones. I remember watching this the first time with my, my mom and she loved the bumper cars joke. Like it was just so ridiculous and impossible. She just laughed so hard at that. Right. That makes sense. And they set that up too. I, watching it again, I'm like, oh, the gangs are no longer a problem. And it's like, obviously they are. 
because they just yes. stole these three yeah. bumper cars. Yeah, now that, uh, since we're going through these early seasons again, I'm, this is the time I was watching it with my parents. I do remember my mom laughing very hard at uh, Selma saying, uh, I think their father's missing a chromosome when mentioning Homer. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, yes, this is when Selma finally catches the kids. I'll have to ask my supervisor. Better stop it. <laughs> Better stop. Can't you do something? Hey, Surly only looks out for one guy. Surly. Mm, sorry, Surly. Shut up. Don't blame these kids. It's not their fault. I think their father is missing a chromosome. Miss Bouvier, while we were rescuing this boy, hoodlums made off with three bumper cars. And I don't think George Washington will ever be the same. We found this one swimming naked in the fermentarium. I am the Lizard Queen! <laughs> Give her this, and this, and then these. Oh, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> no, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Just... Yeah, uh, Phil oh, Harmony, naked in the fermentarium. It's a real uh, Charlton Heston kind of delivery. Yes. Yeah. They, they also said on the commentary that the uh, the actors did not recognize that it was a reference to the doors either. The uh, They did not. The Lizard Queen being the, you know, the I am the Lizard King, King thing. Jim Morrison? Yes. But just the idea of this man handing uh, Selma like 40 pills for Lisa to take <laughs> and they're just like, oh, I'm not a doctor. Like, yeah, it's like. It's I think like, that's my favorite joke. Yeah. I'm uh, not a doctor. So it's like, yeah, what is what is this? What are those? The And then these <laughs> is just two big handfuls of pills. <laughs> and then they later get like right after this lisa is taking her pills and they get away with her saying like can't talk coming down i'm just like wow <laughs> like she is she is using lisa is using drug vernacular even to, to explain this she knows she knows she is coming down from a trip marge and homer's reverie uh which almost burns the beans uh gets interrupted <laughs> as as they're brought back down to earth and this is where we have a, a very touching ending first off i want to say that like it's this rare moment of tenderness i never really noticed with homer before where where selma says how do you do it homer and homer like cups her hands he's like yeah. oh it's like it, it's really sweet I, I think this time i did notice the the tender touch of homer that i was not expecting it's so unexpected for homer to be like oh it's so hard for you like your dreams fell apart or made you realize you didn't want to have kids and and homer like feels bad for her it's it's crazy uh, or it's unexpected for homer yeah well and her her reaching out to him in that way is also so unexpected they never really open up to him or give him credit for anything. Yeah, just hearing her say, like, how do you do it, Homer, when she thinks Homer normally is, like, the worst man in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very, she's, like, indirectly you know, giving him a lot of credit. And I think, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear the clip, but I think part of this is uh, Selma realizing, uh, I, I won't say uh, they were selfish, but maybe misguided her her reasons because she says, Homer, like, all I wanted was a little version of me. And I feel like the show is acknowledging and it needs to be more than this. Like, I think the show is acknowledging Selma maybe needs to think this through a little more. Of course, Bart and Lisa, watching them is not the idea child experience, but I think the writing is saying it was maybe uh, an impulsive decision of Selma and she needs to have some more thoughts. And eventually she will adopt a child much later in the show's history. Right. I think that I feel like, in, you know, in the beginning of the episode, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like it has so much more to do with not wanting to be alone. I feel like at the end here, they're really just teeing up 
the punchline of a small version of her being <laughs> this yeah. uh, terrible lizard. But even so, I just think, you know, per- performance wise, it's so heartbreaking that, it, you know, it just sort of it falls together. Yeah, it's uh, well, well, here's the uh, the natural woman ending here. And uh, then then we can explain why this seemingly random thing happened. Come to Homer, please. I can't. The beans will burn. Homer, please, cares not for beans. Hi, kids. How is Duff Gardens? Can't talk. Coming down. How do you do it, Homer? You take an ordinary bed sheet, fold it around like this. No. I mean raising kids. I just couldn't cut it today. All I wanted was a little version of me that I could hold in my arms. Oh, jub-jub. When I went to pick him up, Mom was trying to stab him with a hat pin. Shh. You make me feel... You make me feel like a natural woman. And then they just play the full, uh, well, cover, but they, they play the song over the credits even. All the way, I was I always forget they, they sprung for the whole song. Yes, and so you've been listening for three hours. Now, finally, <laughs> on the edge of your seats here, we're going to talk about Murphy Brown. Because uh, <laughs> this ending scene is a reference to the season four finale of Murphy Brown titled Birth 101 that I know Henry and I were watching. And this is not a joke. We were watching it when it aired. It was a big TV moment, yep. event TV. 33 million people watched us. It was a big deal. Because after she gives birth, she's being videotaped. She's holding the new word baby. And she sings this song in a very sweet way. It's a very memorable scene of television and a great episode of Murphy Brown. And oh. um, this aired in May of 1992, likely right when this episode was being written. So it was hot off the presses, a big TV moment. Everyone was talking about it, especially because of what would happen later when this was referenced later by Dan Quayle in the run up to the 92 elections, where he was saying some not so nice things about, uh, you know, the state of the American family and how these shows like Murphy Brown are, are saying there's something wrong with the two parent household because in Murphy Brown, she decides, OK, I'm pregnant. I'm a working woman. I'm deciding to raise this baby on my own. And it was it sounds very, you know, not controversial today, but this was 30 years ago. And it was a controversial choice. So, uh, yeah. And apparently I was reading more about this. And this scene is a callback to the uh, first episode where after Murphy Brown returns to work after getting back from rehab, she kicks off her shoes and she sings this song alone in her apartment. So... Her singing this to her child is a reference to her in the first episode that I'm sure many viewers at the time remembered. But I sent you the clip package of what happened to this episode and why it became even more popular after it aired. Yes, here's some of the uh, the then Vice President Dan Quayle commenting on it. Looking out on the morning rain. What's the matter with you people? My water broke! It doesn't help matters when primetime TV has Murphy Brown, a character who supposedly epitomizes today's intelligent, highly paid professional woman, mocking the importance of fathers by bearing a child alone and calling it just another lifestyle choice. Get that thing out of here. There's no way you're taping this. I don't want bootleg copies of me spread out like a wishbone winding up at some Republican fundraiser. My complaint is that Hollywood thinks it's cute to glamorize illegitimacy. 
Even 30 years ago, they were uh, mad about the sickos in Hollywood. But yeah, I mean, the reaction to this was the same as the reaction to when George H.W. Bush made fun of The Simpsons. Dan Cald knew nothing about this. Uh, Bush knew nothing about The Simpsons. But they spoke negatively about a thing everyone liked. And the response was, boo, you stink. We hate you. And they didn't win. So that's so that's so moving. That's actually making me cry. Like, I can't believe that. Yeah, it was an it was ugly. Yeah. And and they had a lot of I mean, it was an ugly moment. uh, But when Murphy Brown came back in the fifth season, the two parter was about the response, the 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 response that Dan Quill had to the show's content. That's just wild saying like promoting illegitimacy it's like oh my gosh yeah. it's, it's so no the, the I, very low loaded term of lifestyle cho- it's it's ugly it's, it's ugly yes oh no for just that on a show about just like a a heterosexual woman just having a kid like that yeah it's i i mean i i remember watching it as a kid and like now i look back on it as it was a very you know intentionally like political choice by by candace bergen who you know was really uh you know leading her show that like the point was that she would have a kid with with, you know she didn't need to include uh any man in her life to have the kid and that was a major statement on it and and yeah i mean dan quayle was just looking for headlines and and then the joke the 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 great they have tons of funny jokes in the episode when it came back i remember as a kid waiting all summer to like oh boy are they going to talk about this uh, Murphy? and again i'm like i'm not even 10 yet but i was waiting for it the whole time and then when they do make fun uh mock him they they also have this really powerful scene like they there's a joke like uh i think it's fontana on the show goes like come on he's dan quayle who cares what he thinks but but then uh murphy brown uh and candace bergen by extension like she has on a bunch of on the news show in the show a bunch of real life single mothers or single parents and the the point is to show like oh does he think these people aren't real parents or or real like he and and she brought this like level of reality to it uh that i thought was really just like it was also very memorable as well like the the response as well not just the, that moment but her response too yeah and that episode is what won murphy brown the outstanding comedy series emmy for that year which defeated the simpsons which really bothered the simpsons as <laughs> yeah well. actually was that one of the years they weren't nominated in that category it's where they did it's so they got to be taken out of animated for a few years to go up against real real live action sitcoms <laughs> what are you saying henry <laughs> their feeling was the simpsons feeling and i think it's slightly legitimate that they felt like that they then get ignored because their animation so they don't even get considered for nominated and it's this difficult thing for the simpsons where so instead they get to be the big fish in the uh in the animated section which you know is unfortunate rebecca i'm sure you've you've been on the side of this like oh well the simpsons are always gonna be nominated there it's it's tough competition right yeah that's still i mean that's still that's still tough and it's but it's so rare for something animated to end up in a category with with things that are live action that you know i remember i was actually a little involved when because i because i've done some work with the glad kids and family council you know as they're talking about their awards and there was some talk of you know should there be a animation category and you know that like that's always just a difficult choice because as soon as it exists everything's gonna go gonna go there and it's not it's not a genre it's not like like animation is a medium you know you don't have the live action category you couldn't do that there would be everything would be in it so it's you know it's not yeah that stuff that stuff is still trouble but then at the same time on the other side of the of 
the coin, you want to make sure that, you know, these brilliant pieces of art are being recognized. And how do you do that if they're, if they're marginalized out of all these other categories, which they almost always are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, on the commentary, Mike Reese, 20 years ago, was saying, you know, we, we, we assumed everyone would remember Murphy Brown and nev- not The Simpsons. We, you know, it was a much bigger show. But, you know, 20 years ago, he's saying nobody remembers this. And now I think, you know, uh, now nobody remembers this moment. But Murphy Brown, I'm going to put this out there. Good show. It's on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, there was a reboot like in 2018. I don't know what if that was good or not, but uh, I enjoyed the show as a kid. And then it came to Nick at Night in the 2000s. And I rewatched a bunch of it and I still thought it hold, uh, held up. That's cool. Well, anim- it's, yeah, animation is so timeless. It's hard to, mm-hmm. you know... I think it, it, it tends to live past. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It, it has that power in a way other things don't. Mm. I remember when Murphy Brown went to Nick at Night, The Onion had a headline of like uh, that area man can't believe that Murphy Brown old enough to now be on Nick at Night. And I, I I've, that sticks with me. <laughs> and now Nick at Night is uh, just what? Friends? Probably friends, friends is starting to be too old to be on Nick at Night. Yeah, now. that's true. Oh it's God. like, uh, what is uh, Malcolm in the Middle up to? Is that, that that's pretty old now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah yeah oh my gosh no actually I'm looking uh, at the, it. the welcome uh, back cotter that we watched all on uh on nick at night too far too old to be on nick at night now. <laughs> i'm looking up nick at night schedule now and it is three shows uh friends mm. mike and molly and mom wow and that's it wow they're not telling me anything else cable's in a weird place right now <laughs> what's that uh, oh yes cable's yes. weird right now I mean, this reminds me, you know, there's so many things that I know that, you know, from the from radio or from movies that were from like the 30s and 40s and 50s from watching cartoons that it's like I have no idea what they're a reference to because it's like they're making a joke about it in a Betty Boop cartoon or, you know, and, and the, the what's great is like, I feel like those are always the funniest jokes because they seem so out of left field. It's just like, what what is this? This is, you know, those always would stick with me. And then Simpsons would do that too, like the the guy who's like, "Yes, yes, I had a stroke." That guy, it's like those are like these are radio jokes. Like I didn't know, I don't know what that is. It's just like a funny voice. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said you're watching a bunch of old Looney Tunes, Rebecca, and it is fun to learn. Like, oh, this thing that Bugs Bunny is famous for saying that's from Fibber McGee and Molly, but you wouldn't know that, mm. <laughs> right? Or and like even the carrots thing is like, are they making fun of um, Clark Gable? Clark Gable, yeah. yes, right. So many, I mean, so much of that stuff is pop culture references. That I only know, that I only know from Looney Tunes. That's why we're here. Be- I got kids. To- we're here because oh. Murphy Brown is the Fibber McGee and Molly uh, in terms of where we are now. <laughs> right. I feel like I'm being too. I'm being like I was being too harsh. <laughs> I, I feel guilty because I think there is something about this ending that is so beautiful. In that, well, it's not just that she didn't want to be alone. I I I retract. I retract mm. my statement. She says she has a lot of love to give, yeah. and that's why this ending does feel so good. Because mm. even though she says I just I just want a little me, I feel like the full the full circle part is that she she wants to give love and she you and that's what you see her doing with jub jub and that's why it feels so right it's like oh she just she really does have a lot of love to give and you really do see her give it to jub jub from this point on it's like you know even even the promise of termicler's promise of a warm rock it's like you know she's (laughs) she's taking really taking care of this lizard they remain close and, companions. And she sha- saved Jub Jub from death, from being stabbed to death by her mother. <laughs> yes. So right, and it, yeah, and it tells you too, you know, that this is this Jub Jub really does need a good home. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and someone to care it's a sweet ending again that she's singing it to and i uh my my last song on my episode i do love that they let the song play this cover of natural woman play over the full credits but they let selma have the like the last line of like oh yeah like she gets to you get to hear her reflect on it one more time 
Yeah, it's a very nice touch. Yeah, I guess uh, my final thoughts on this one, again, I reiterate, I don't know why I liked this one as a kid as much as I did, but I remain a Selma's Choice liker as an adult, and I just love Patty and Selma so much, and I feel like the show drifts away from them in, in a few years. They're not as interested as uh, in them as, as much as they are interested in them as, like, punching bags, you know, or for gross jokes, but uh, I love this era, and I love David Stern writing these characters, and I, I love the emotional stories told that you wouldn't expect when you see their first appearances, so uh, thumbs up up on Selma's choice for me. Yeah, the uh, the theme park jokes too uh, are are good are really great, but they they get overshadowed by better trips to theme parks they do in the future that more expansive. But I mean, well, I'll never I'll never forget Surly Duff or the love of a bench uh, as well. But it's still it also has an emotional tale to tell with Selma that I think uh, at least for a bunch of Harvard dudes writing a uh, a sitcom, I think is is uh, has has something to say about a woman uh, in her experiences that uh, is is. It's not just about how she's a hideous hag that everybody should be disgusted by. Yeah. I feel like I would be, I would, I would give pause to recommending this to people's sight unseen just, just because of the sheer amount of ugly, ugly jokes that are contained in it. But I, but I think that the performance from Julie Kavner across this episode is so amazing. And, and that makes me personally love to return to it and, and I returning to it as an adult after, cause I, I, I feel like I, I only remembered the kids stuff mm-hmm. from when I watched it as a kid. Like I only remembered the theme park stuff. So coming back and, and kind of hearing, hearing her performance across all these different characters. And I always love anything about, I mean, I, I would always like cling on to anything about Marge's family because any insight into Marge was so exciting, but it's, it, it's interesting too, just to see how this fits in. I guess it's more than a trilogy, but I think of it as sort of a trilogy of Selma episodes within the, when I was really obsessively watching Simpson and, and the one I think of the most is the Troy McClure fish called Selma. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is like this, would that be the sequel to this one? Is that, is there another one before that? Yeah, I, th- I think it would be the sequel because we had we have this, we have Principal Charming. Uh, I mean, the story's about the sisters. So Principal Charming, Black Widower, this, and A Fish Called Selma. And of course, Homer versus Patty and Selma, but that's not uh, uh, dealing with their personal lives as much. Ah, so, no, there's, no. so there's really more like fuller yeah. in this mm. kind of thread. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's 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 interesting and it's re- it's really nice to just get a window into their life and see them be expanded on as characters. And if they did not adapt Dana Gould's actual experience with with his own adopting a child, they, maybe Selma would never have had a kid. But she has had Ling as a daughter since season sixteen, and who still occasionally appears. Though she has the problem that happened with Apu's kids too, where when you introduce a kid that's born after Maggie, but then you want them to be a little older, they then they then basically. Maggie has to stay one and they have to become like three and uh, it's one of those things you can't think about too much it's kind of creepy oh yeah but uh, Rebecca, thank you for joining us on what I think is our longest episode ever. I'm not going to uh, tally it up right now, but but Rebecca, please remind us about Spiral Bound and uh, let us know if you want to plug anything else at the end of the show here. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I have an album out called Spiral Bound. Uh, it's streaming everywhere that one can listen to music super thrilled to be able to share personal work which i have not done in in very very long time uh as as mentioned earlier the steven universe movie is somehow on disney plus so that that can be seen there um (laughs) 
And of course, Steven Universe is, is streaming in various places. I, I think I think it's still on Max. I should probably have done, I should have checked a lot I of it, so. some of it, but not the movie, which is on Disney Plus. So yes, and thank you and to everyone who is still watching and talking about Steven Universe. I really appreciate it. I'm on I'm on TikTok at Rebecca Sugar and Instagram, also at Rebecca Sugar. And I'll, I'm sharing some music stuff uh, and also just some little behind the scenes show stuff there as well. Yeah. And super grateful, as always, to reminisce about The Simpsons, which was oh. such an important formative piece of animation for me. Thank you, thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Yes, I've been really loving your your TikTok has been has been great uh, for fans of the show or all of your work. Like to see all the rarities and stuff you're sharing, and I, you know, also, I I really liked a lot of the. This is back in November, but you did uh, the retrospectives because it just hit 10 years of, of Steven Universe and I, I don't know if I've told you this uh, off mic but I've just friends of mine I'm sure you've heard this from a million people but this just happened with friends of mine where their their kids uh, they have two daughters one's 10 the the other seven and they just wa- they just consumed all of Steven Universe in like a four month period and they they loved it so much and my my friend was like oh I've you know my, my watching it with his daughter was this whole new level they're going to cherish it forever and it's just i just love that the series can still be that for you know these kids to like she was she was born like right when she was like one when i started watching steven universe in 2013 so oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so intense it's very intense when i meet people who, who go i loved the show when i was a kid and this, they're, they're like in their 20s like they are an adult person <laughs> and i'm like whoa oh my gosh whoa but it's so exciting because this, even as we were making it back then, we were like, what the show really needs is to be watched, you know, start to finish because it's this continuous story, which was so hard to do at the time. You know, we, we were honestly in a lot of trouble for it because it, it made it very difficult to rerun it. And so we would all just, we were all just waiting for it to somehow, somehow, we didn't even know how it would work, be able to be seen from start to finish in that way um, without giant gaps in the scheduling and without, you know, it, it taking X amount of time because they, they sometimes they would marathon episodes and then we'd have to x much time in production to catch up so that it's it's amazing to hear that and i always dreamed i feel like as we were working on the show the the idea of it streaming somewhere was just first it wasn't even a thing on anyone's mind and then as that seemed more and more like it could be a possibility it was like oh this like this is really how how it should be watched someday and to, to have arrived there and have people get to experience the story from start to finish and hopefully the only thing is hopefully, hopefully people can go in spoiler free i don't know how that's possible mm-hmm. they um, they uh, the, anecdotally my friends were able to stay spoiler free i told them well i told them when they started i was like do not google the light and don't google a thing about the show don't go to youtube and watch anything you just have to go all the way and even when they were watching it i had to ask them like so what episode are you up to now and i i had to be careful not to say things around them uh, they they i believe they made it entirely spoiler free and all the surprises were surprises for them so that's good because that's Henry, you spoiled alan wake 2 for me and i'll never forgive you uh, well, <laughs> oh no which part uh, you're like oh and i really love this thing it's like well i didn't know that was in the game thank you henry well everybody was tw- if, if i drink well, enough wine tonight maybe i'll forget i'm, I'm sorry bob <laughs> i thought i i if it's one specific thing from Alan Wake 2, I was like, ah, but then they did a whole award show about it. I figured the, it was... The next uh, next half an hour of this four-hour podcast will be us deliberating this. Go. <laughs> and I apologize. Rebecca, you've been a lovely guest, and thank yeah. you for all of your time. Oh, my gosh. Glad to. Please, cut, cut it down. <laughs> cut out some of the stuff I said. This, this, this is such a commitment. Thank If anyone really is listening to... What is this? Three hours of podcast. <laughs>
Yeah, thank you so much for all of your time, Rebecca. Thank you, thank so you Rebecca. Much. Glad to, glad to. Thanks for having me. Please have me, please have me back. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to. Yes. Of course. Thanks again to Rebecca Sugar for being on the show. Please check out her new album, Spiral Bound. It's available on Bandcamp or wherever you find good music. But as for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get these episodes one week ahead of time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up there, get just that, but also access to our vast catalog of miniseries episodes, over 150 full-length episodes to date that you haven't heard if you're not a patron. We've covered things like Futurama, King of the Hill, Mission Hill, The Critic, Batman the Animated Series, and if you sign up, you get access to all of those. And then also new monthly episodes of both Talking Futurama and Talk King of the Hill and that is all at the $5 level a steal I say a steal at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and we have a $10 level as well when you sign up for that you can access all of the $5 stuff naturally but you can also access a one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that podcast Henry? Bob's talking about our what a cartoon movie podcast where we cover an animated feature film super in depth just like a classic episode The Simpsons which often means talking for over four, five, or even six hours, like we just talked about the classic Bambi. It's uh, one of the best of the Disney classics. It re- I think it holds up pretty well, too. And we have a ton of interesting history on that one. Check out our Bambi one. This month, in the end of February, you're going to hear us talking about Porco Rosso, the Ghibli classic as well. We have a ton to say about that, so please check all of that out in our over five years worth of what a cartoon movie podcast including our longest one ever six and a half hours about who framed roger rabbit and not a second wasted all of it's there at your fingertips if you head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons so as for me i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo and my other podcast is retronauts it's a classic gaming podcast all about old video games you can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. The other place, Blue Sky, as Bob Servo as well. And Henry, how about you? Follow me on all of the social medias as at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G, except on Instagram where I'm talking Henry. Yeah, I am always posting a lot there, and you should be following on those social media accounts our official Twitter account, at TalkSimpsonsPod. At TalkSimpsonsPod will keep you in the loop whenever new podcasts come out or whenever we're doing live shows or any of that other cool stuff. Follow at TalkSimpsonsPod on all the socials, and of course go to talkingsimpsons.com if you want an easy to explore list of all of our previously released free podcasts thanks so much for listening folks we'll see you again next time for the latest episode of our community podcast talk to the audience and we will see you then oh baby what you've done to me what you've done to me you made This isn't my house.